Previously on the Swarmcast. Toast is leaving the show? Hey buddy, can I get on your bus? Oh wow, where you guys headed? Well, okay, let's see. He's gone off to tour the US. So, I guess that means I've got to edit all this stuff myself. You guys don't run around with flamethrowers and destroy everything for a hundred mile radius, right? Uh, flamethrowers, no. It's like a redneck cake. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So what's some good stuff we could say about this game? Uh, it's... It's very, uh... Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's okay. very... Okay. Dragons have taken over the world. Oh, um... And only Matthew McConaughey can save the day. Yeah. I started a trend. Horrible, things, horrible trend. Things and stuff. And remember, Bertos, should you ever need us. This is amazing. I can use this file on this computer to travel through time and space. <laughs> Why? Why is everything on fire? Ugh, I'm so full. I don't know if I should eat another bite. Okay, just five more. And now... Ah, back to Grover John's locker. Ah, yes, just smell those sweet meat droppings. <laughs> the best and the whole how many be in your party? Baby Joe, it's me, Toast, your own body. Come on. SOS night is tomorrow. Huh? What? No, 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 no. I'm Toast. You know, the crowbar that lives under the floorboards and hooks you guys up with the sound system for karaoke, poetry, slam, and live acts and all that stuff. Huh? Huh? Our toast. Yes, how you been, my little orange friend? Oh, you know, pretty good, pretty good. You know, I just got out there, saw the world, I got to hang out with a bunch of puppets on a bus, and I met some historical bad guys, too, kind of, I mean. And I saw some Canadian robots. What? Uh, what? Canadian, you say? Why? Zed? Uh, uh, an obscure reference. Uh, say, um, uh, um, it does smell pretty good, but uh, is John on the uh, SCPC stuff in the back room still, huh? Yeah? <laughs> I guess. I don't really go back there oh. much. You know, because of all that salt all over the ground. <laughs> Stupid Winchesters. Alright, well, I'm a hidden back then. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> ah, ah, let's sit down here. Uh, hey, John, I'm a back. <laughs> John? Hello? Huh? Anyone there? Is he under the table? Maybe? Ah, oh, what do we have here? Let's see. Huh. Season 6 stuff. What are we, like a TV show or something? Whatever. What's this over? Some VHS tapes. Why does he record on these? Who the heck? Must be some new hipster trend or something. Oh, hey, where is everyone? Where's that one guy, uh, Tim? You know, the guy who tried to take over the show that one time. Out of me, or the, uh, guy who's always coming at you. Where's that guy? Anybody? Wait, what's this note here? 
New episode is edited, needs to go out ASAP. I'll just pop out for a bit. So if anybody reads this message, they should go ahead and put this episode together. Really? Really? Okay, whatever. Ugh. Let's see what kind of stuff we got here. Cue the intro. The Swancast Podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced on the poop deck of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On the show, we talk about the gaming hobby and random fandom. Opinions on this show are... Okay, here's a spoiler for uh, Infinity Wars. Uh, there's a finite number of Infinity Gems. <laughs> I'm Toast, your cobalt announcer. And now, prepare to delve into the mind of your host... John Minas! I admit that I'm impressed since I'm how tricks someone legit to come and sit and talk some stuff. Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Tim, I was thinking about the other day. Usually when I'm playing these different fantasy games and such, the evil warlocks and wizards and things like that, you know what they always seem to have a ton of? What do they have a ton of, John? Orcs. They just have like a lot of orcs, like an almost unlimited supply of orcs. Unlimited orcs? Yeah. That's just silly. Hmm. It seems like like perhaps there's some sort of company or organization or something that must be supplying these orcs, right? Maybe. Like maybe an, an orcs unlimited or or the such. Sounds like a lame union. Well, let's let's get behind this. Let's uh let's get down to the bottom of this. I'm gonna do a quick uh search here on the internet. Orcs unlimited. What do you know? That exists. What I disbelieve. <laughs> and reality fades. <laughs> No, but seriously, we we have with us a a guest who's here to talk to us about some RPGs. This guy, he's from Orcs Unlimited. I I don't know if he actually is an orc or not. We'll find out. That's yeah, so. So uh, here we go. Here's <laughs> as he wants to be introduced. That guy, Pat. Ooh, yay! <laughs> so, Hello, everybody. So how are you doing today, Pat? I'm great. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. We're doing good. 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 So first question, are you an orc? Yeah. I, I am not an orc. I am a, uh, I, I am an orc protector. Cons- cons- conservation of orcs. Okay. Uh, the, so you're, original, you're an orc hugger. I'm an orc hugger, yes. <laughs> uh, the original name was a uh, spoof on Ducks Unlimited to oh, okay. uh, conserve role-playing spaces and uh, things to murder and stab in your dungeons. So that's, that's what the, was originally a joke, and then we just kind of went with it. Okay, because I, I admit going through a lot of the games, uh, looking through a lot of stuff, you know what I've seen a severe lack of in your games? What's that? Orcs. Yeah, strangely enough. <laughs> there is not orcs everywhere. There are a handful. There's a smattering of orcs. So even though they're unlimited... There's, they're unlimited. Well, you have to conserve them. <laughs> Warlords have been murdering them by the horde for centuries now. So, 
So let's let's just give a kind of a, a brief breakdown of some of these these titles that come out from Orcs Unlimited, and then we'll we'll talk because there's clearly there's clearly a theme here going on here. So I know sitting right in front of me, I have Escape from Teddy Bear Island. Yes. Uh, we hunt. There works. What'd you say? There are, there are orcs in that one. There are orcs in that one. Yeah. <laughs> I have We Hunt Bugs. No orcs. No orcs, but a lot of bugs. It's about, going, bugs. It's about going into space and blowing up bugs. Yes. Um, and I also have probably the one that, that Tim told me about that got me to check out Orcs Unlimited, which is Space Pirates the Musical, which I guess could have orcs. Uh, no, space no orcs. orcs. No orcs. No space orcs. orcs. No orcs. No, no orcs. No. Okay. But you've also got some other games like, uh, what is it? Uh, Bad Day. Oh, God. Bad, bad day to, bad be, a day to be a bad day yes. to be a kaiju. And that's our redheaded stepchild game. <laughs> oh, now I feel bad because I flubbed the name on that too. <laughs> then you have a couple. You have a supplement for We Hunt Bugs and for Escape from Teddy Bear Island. Return to Teddy Bear Island and return uh, soon to have Curse of the Teddy Bear Island. Oh no! Yes. <laughs> And so we'll have so you have three. You'll have the Teddy Bear Island trilogy. Yeah, Teddy Bear Island trilogy. Yes. Awesome. Escape, return, and curse. And curse. And then you can have Son of the Curse of Teddy Bear. Son of the Curse of Teddy Bear. Right of the Curse of Teddy Bear Island. Wait, are you supposed to be afraid of the ghost or the mummy's ghost? Or is it the return of the mummy's ghost? And then eventually you get to Teddy Bear X. Teddy Bear X. (laughs) That'll be my cyberpunk supplement for it. There you go. <laughs> and then fairly recently you you uh you just released Barbarians the musical. Bar- the follow-up Barbarians the musical um <clears throat> which was supposed to be the last of the musical titles because I just kind of <laughs> but my daughter and a couple friends have uh prodded me into starting Zombie Apocalypse the musical which will be later next year. <laughs> so that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't say no to that one, so we'll be that one's in development as well. <laughs> All of these games have a very just kind of fun and uh, dare I say weird kind of kind of vibe to them. Yeah, uh, yeah a friend of ours had dubbed, had dubbed me the master of the strange RPG. I like that. That was <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we started when I started this. I was mm-hmm. I you know I looked at all of the there's like 900 Dungeons and Dragons and or supplements or versions of it and and Cyberpunk and Shadowrun and all of the the serious games everybody's making those games so I made the games that that uh, that nobody was making <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I wanted to play damn it <laughs> so, so that's where these uh, these come in yes okay so what was the first one what was the first one that you did was it Teddy Bear Island uh, the very first one was actually Kaiju before it had to be uh, it's been extensively rewritten from the original purpose Uh-oh. of it uh, originally it was uh, pretty much you play a giant Kaiju you smash cities and then it had to be a point a friend of mine pointed out there's not a lot of role playing to it so it's uh, been transformed into what it is today which is uh, terribly entertaining for the people that have played it, but it's it's a difficult game to both run and uh, and get your mind around. It's, so it, it's um, it's kind of the, the like I said, the redhead stepchild of the of our games. It's it's difficult to even describe. So it makes it, <laughs> okay. it, it, it yeah. So it's it's the redhead stepchild of games, uh, and then Teddy Bear Island, and then Bugs. Or shortly after that, but we started with Kaiju. Okay. Well, now now I definitely want to check out Bad, Bad Day, Day to be a Kaiju. kaiju. 
That sounds like a, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like I have to check. Oh, I get it. I get it. I can't tell you what it's about. All I can tell you is it's a very unique experience. So you should probably <laughs> go, ahead, go out there and, uh, and and buy it and check it out. Oh, I yeah, can already see the review. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to tell you, John. It was a really interesting game. <laughs> it was really interesting. The uh, most memorable part of the test play at our table was the HR consultation between three kaijus while the fourth one in the group was trying to fend off a platoon of tanks. And it was terribly entertaining. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the kind of game it is. <laughs> okay. Now, I've, I've noticed that in all the other games, at least, you've got a very similar structure as far as the 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 rules and and such that kind of flows through through all the other games um is that uh, is that the same case with with kaiju uh kaiju yeah, the the three those three games the kaiju bugs teddy bear island all have the same general system with a couple tweaks here and there to go to the different worlds okay. and um the musical games have a different system but they're both the same system as each other Okay. That makes sense. So, and most of the games that we will be doing are one system or the other, depending on how simple the gameplay is supposed to be. Okay. So, musical is a is a very very simple system, and Kaiju's not a whole lot more difficult, but it's it's a little bit more robust to have a wider game variety. Okay. They're all pretty easy systems to to pick up. So yeah, they shouldn't be too difficult. Hopefully, you can uh, pick them up in ten minutes of play or so. Yeah, I gotta admit, looking through Teddy Bear Island, I really kind of dig the way it's laid out with the whole uh, pick your RPG fantasy race, <laughs> pick your your class or your job or um or whatnot, do a few more tweaks and go. It's it's, yeah. it's it's really set up to you know all right do this now go go play now. Yeah, all three of them were set that hopefully. My, my original thought was that they, they would be pickup games, like in between your Shadowrun campaign or when somebody can't make a game type of thing. Um, they could just definitely be campaigned. We've campaigned all of them, and I know people that have. Uh, but originally, they're so I didn't want I want character generation to be five to ten minutes, uh-huh. uh, as opposed to having having an entire session eaten up by character generation. I wanted it to be five ten minutes and then get get playing. Okay. I definitely get that vibe. And with the musical series, because now it's a series. Yes. You have a very, a much shorter, um, I guess, process for making the characters. Uh, yeah, if it takes you five minutes to make a barbarian, I'd be stunned. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it seems like the hardest part, though, is having to choose your theme song. Yes, that would probably be the most difficult <laughs> part of the game, choosing a theme song. We're going to do uh, Space Pirates here with, with our group at some point and do a review of that on our um probably our, our well on one of our review segments and i can already tell i'm gonna have to tell them tell the guys a week in advance you know <laughs> come, come up, up with a theme song right pick pick three or four songs that you that you think would go really good for i'll just say a space pirate of some sort <laughs> well you say that but uh there was another game i played where one of the things you had to do was choose your favorite song and most people just like oh i'm gonna pick this one so you might be surprised i don't know Maybe. With with our group, okay. Well, okay. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, with our group, it's kind of somebody's going to be like, uh, give me thirty minutes so I can figure out what song would be you good look for through my music. playlist. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I like. <laughs> and with those musical games, it's it's interesting because you're not just picking your own song. You're pick, you're also picking songs for for different um, things yeah. that might come up. 
in the game yes as well. yes so you kind of create a playlist for things that may come up and then uh if they come up while your random playlist is going then bonuses are applied to the to the game um and then if you sing you get even greater bonuses but i've yet to have well, i've only had one person sing during test play at oh, my table we had a couple say. other tables that were supposed to be i heard were uh very raucous <laughs> I was gonna say if you if you got any of us any of uh, the Swarmcast guys at your you know playing the game, I guarantee you there's gonna be some singing. It'll That's be, what I like. It'll be interesting. Yes. <laughs> be ear shattering. Let me let me just put it to you this way: I was at a, a convention and I was running uh I was running paranoia, and ah. and instead of having the the guy came out and give them a vague description of what their assignment was going to be for the troubleshooters. I turned on my phone and did a karaoke uh, to uh, Don't Stop Believing," and then just and dropped a fake mic on the table and said, and then he leaves the room. <laughs> and this was at a con- and this was at a convention, so I had other tables who were playing, you know, Pathfinder and things like that. They all stopped and they're like, "What the heck's going on over there?" What? So I got some cheers. I think I got a few lighters lit at one point. Yay! <laughs> so so yeah, space, so was, space Pirates the musical totally up my alley. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, originally, it was a joke. Uh, somebody on Twitter said I was going to make a Space Pirates game. And then somebody said, well, you should make it a musical. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to I can't wait to get it to the table with these guys and see what happens. And then we'll follow it up with the Barbarians one. So so we've been we've been uh, kind of rambling on about about a bunch of these different games and such. What is the secret or not so secret origins of Orcs Unlimited then? Uh, well, back in the day, about, I don't know. 30 something years ago. A friend of mine wanted me to play Dungeons and Dragons, and we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we were both really into uh, anime at the time, and at the time, at Robotech included anime. So mm-hmm. we were at a gaming store, we were at a hobby store, and ran across the Robotech RPG, which is a fun game, but not the game I would suggest anybody start role playing with, <laughs> which is where we started role playing. Um, and then we, I've been, so I've been role playing since I was. Well, we started with the Robotech RPG, uh, and then we would write our own games because we were poor and uh, lived quite a ways away from a game store, and that was the only way. It was it back in the day. We had to walk <laughs> uphill both ways. Um, so we could just order games online. So we made up our own games, um, and so I always wanted to develop my own games, but I have I have grammatically challenged. Uh, and I didn't even know where to start. So one day, a friend of mine pointed out RPG Now, and that everybody was start go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it, so I did <laughs> it. Uh, it was pretty awful. The first game was pretty bad, uh, but I learned a lot from it. Uh, I found an editor, uh, found some artists. I uh, went back to the drawing board, and then we came up with some games uh, that I think are, are really, really entertaining. Had a lot of good reviews on the games. Everybody seems to enjoy them. I found a, a community to help me test play them. So we're not just doing it at my table, but four or five tables around the country, and even a couple outside of the United States. So we've been uh, we've been rel- moderately successful as we get our name out. More people, more people are looking at them. We're going to see Gen Con this year. We were nominated for an any last year for the Space Pirates, the musical. Um, so we're growing, getting there, and I'm, I'm uh, learning this publishing thing. <laughs> 
So, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. I always wanted to do it. And then I got into my uh, late 30s and somebody said, well, do it or don't shut up. And so there we are. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. I like that. That's very awesome. And, uh, and of course, now that, uh, yeah, and, and now that I'm buying these books left and right, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be bringing as many of these as I can to different conventions around here, too. Yeah. Definitely appreciate that. We, um, we got some representation from a friend of mine at PAX West this year. They played some Teddy Bear Island on one of the floors. Oh, very cool. Oh, I was pretty excited about that. So as we get into more conventions and more and more people – Got a couple podcasts now, so we're uh, we're growing. Uh, we're not our next big big game. We're finally putting out a, a semi serious game, but that'll be the end of this year, early next year. And while we're still doing, we got half a dozen less serious games in the works. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So uh, yes, we got uh, Small Wardens that just came out recently, which is a cartoon adventure it, it was based on a disney cartoon huh. so basically uh we, i used chippendales rescue rangers for the basis of it oh uh, modified it quite a bit uh so as not to get sued please don't sue me disney and uh disney so, doesn't sue anybody yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was so it was the basic thought process behind the game and then we kind of expanded a little bit made our own world and uh so that's been out for about two months now it's gotten good good feedback so far it's its own system uh because i was half asleep when i wrote it originally i really like the system we put it out <laughs> so i could see how it went um so we might uh do more games in that system as well we'll see but still the, the main system is the, is the one that's in escape from teddy bear island the one that we'll see we'll, we use the most mm-hmm. uh but i like to dabble with systems and for some reason, I don't like any dice except for six-sided dice, so that's all you've seen. <laughs> uh, I do have a plan for a game that's going to be a, a full set of dice at some time in the future. That's going to have uh, automated trash cans in a post-apocalyptic world. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of on the back burner right now because we got a little bit of, we got stuck with a couple other big things. But mostly we're D6 based. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and by that, you mean uh, D6, D3, D6, D2, D3, D2. <laughs> D2. Uh, so they kind of get halved. But yeah, so we use the basic D6 sided dice and kind of a little bit of math trickery there. Right, right. <laughs> well, Pat, I was going to ask you how, how you got into gaming, but I, I think you kind of told us that. It was with yeah. Robotech, the role-playing game of all things. Wow. Yeah. Wait, wait, um, I, I kind of started that way, start. too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How how did you start, Tim? Was uh, it was it GURPS? I think it was. No, 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 no. GURPS was later. Uh, I mean, I was introduced by early D and D, and there was a AD and D session that was supposed to happen but didn't. Okay. Uh, but then I saw Robotech at the bookstore, and I was like, I like Robotech. <laughs> and then I got into the Palladium system. <clears throat> wow. Uh, yes, which is a fun system, but not the system I necessarily suggest anybody <laughs> starts with. Yeah. See, and I, th- and I think I started with the the Marvel phase rip uh, stuff. So, <laughs> so talk about starting at a strange place. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons thing just never worked out for me. So we 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 still play every now and then. It's just not our uh, our number one game. All right. See, and I, I find that funny because reading through Teddy Bear Island, it it definitely has that whole oh here's this is this has definitely got the um 
you know the the old school gamer uh weird uh, like nostalgia kind of vibe to it in a weird way yeah <laughs> yeah it definitely uh it was it was kind of meant to be a riff on the original dungeons and dragons and then i've uh yeah so it definitely should feel i hope it feels that way oh yeah but, uh, and then when we play dungeons and dragons we play first edition most of the time <laughs> so okay. that's the problem where some of that comes from it definitely doesn't uh wasn't meant to feel like a modern system. Okay. What I find funny is there's this huge market for, I don't know what they're calling it anymore. They call it like, some people call it ODD or some people call it uh, just uh, OSR or whatever. It's, it's, oh, like the old style role-playing game. Right, game. right. They, there's this big market for, for for playing basically, you know, old first edition, maybe second edition D- or games D&D like style that. or things like that. So you got like Dungeon Crawl Classics. You got uh, uh, just a lot of stuff like that. But but um, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, Pat or Tim, but, but it's like those guys tend to have these huge monstrous books Yes. For everything, yeah. So the, it reminds me of Hackmaster. Like oh it was done, gosh! Yes. Yeah, yeah. Done to be like a, what was the original uh, ice system? The old master <laughs> system. It had a chart on every page, and yeah. And people like that. And I'm not going to ever tell anybody how they should or shouldn't enjoy their hobby, but it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> Yeah, good old good old chart master. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That that being said, um, Escape from Teddy Bear Island definitely not that, not that at all. No, no, no. I, I meant the the world to feel that way, but I don't want the system to be right. If you have to look up a chart, I'd be stunned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the book is is only a, a little bit over a hundred pages. A little bit over a hundred, yes. Um, okay, now I I gotta admit when I was looking when I was looking through because spa- like I said, Space Pirates musical got me to Orcs Unlimited, and then I was like, well, let me check out this Escape from Teddy Bear Island because everyone's talking about Escape from Teddy Bear Island, <clears throat> and I flipped through the the little sample pages that's on Drive Through RPG, and it tells you you know first thing you do is you pick your race. And I'm like, okay, well this sounds kind of like Space Pirates kind of does that too when it starts. Yes, yeah. And I was like, well, what are the races? Like, okay, human elf and it's like kobold which is which are small dog creatures they're like i'm sold i'm sold on it right <laughs> exactly there. because they're dogs originally people <laughs> right <laughs> it's like, if you started on third edition or later they're dogs trust me awesome so now now we know what uh we should just we should always just ask our, our guests uh kobolds dogs or lizards dogs or lizards <laughs> oh, and we'll, we'll make that chart <laughs> No oh, God! They no. go lizards, obviously, and we we'll go. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, let me. I know how this interview is going to go now. <laughs> I feel like we should call this segment um, three old gamers sitting around a mic." <laughs> uh, Dogs. <laughs> Talking about old, overly complex systems. We, should, yes. we need. We need to have that. We need to have that segment now. Oh, good. Where, where it's we just we just have a bunch of things that we all say, and each like 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 Tim will come in and go in my day, and he'll say something, and then the next person will go, well, in my day, we had to look up a chart to figure out what our Thaco was, and we liked it that way. Yeah, we liked it that I way. I never liked Thaco. <laughs> yeah, and then the next person go in my day. The SDC weapons didn't do MDC damage. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> In my day, Star Wars used D6s. That's right. I still we still play the D6 Star Wars. It's the best Star Wars. Uh 
Isn't I don't remember. Isn't somebody putting that back out? I don't know. I know. Um, they, you know, it's whoever has the license currently is releasing it as like a limited run for the second edition West End game. Okay. Version. So I'm not sure who has rights to what there, but uh, but I bought a copy. So. So you know, <laughs> growing up, the way I learned the way I learned about yeah, about the Star Wars universe was through looking through all the West End games, yeah, and source books for exactly. for Star Wars. I was like, oh, I know exactly what all of these different aliens are. I know what they do and stuff like that. <clears throat> so we'd be watching the movie, and it's like, oh, that's one of these guys. Like, yeah, that's why no one would play me in uh, Star Wars: Jedi Pursuit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, and then um. And then you know the 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 D twenty Star Wars system comes out mm-hmm. and, and that just kind of changed everything, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, those guys, those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Am I dead? No, okay. <laughs> I it. Oh Damn. my goodness! Star Wars is D six based. <laughs> Cobalt are dogs, and MDC and STC don't transfer. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> So we have covered a lot of base patent, and and what I really appreciate is, in the amount of time we've been talking with you, you've been more succinct and and <laughs> more interesting to talk to than, than some people I've talked to for over an hour about. Ooh, that sounds fun. Games. Um, yeah, if you listen, yeah. Uh, so, so listeners, uh, your challenge is to listen to all the old episodes and see if you can figure out which one of those I'm talking about. <laughs> which one I'm talking about? I do have to say that uh, if you happen to like Teddy Bear Island or <laughs> We Have Bugs, and eventually Kaiju, uh, there are short story <laughs> compilations on Amazon for them. So there's a group of short stories for each one to kind of expand the world a little bit, which we did uh, on partnership with. Dreaming big, so they've been ter- They're entertaining. We've got some good reviews on those too, and some bad reviews. But that's mostly because people don't like short stories sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, we. So if you like, you want to look at you. You enjoy bugs. You want to kind of eat, eat bugs is even an audiobook. Oh, you know, want to waste a couple hours of your life? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, look up. It's bugs in the system on Amazon or Audible, and the Teddy Bear Island one is the Plushinomicon on Amazon and soon on Audible. So hopefully, so if you want to, if you want it to expand your horizons, there you go. So I'll get those plugs out there too. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Will you ever create a uh, escape from Teddy Bear Island, LA? Ooh, that's, I like that. Ooh. It had to be post-apocalyptic though. I'm have to see if I get Bruce Gamble to join in. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Escape from Teddy Bear Island, LA. <laughs> It will be groovy. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, yeah, we went there. <laughs> All right. So, we've been talking with Pat, that guy, from Orcs Unlimited. Um, Yay. Yay. <laughs> Listeners, you should totally go there and uh, and go to it. Well, actually, where, where would be the best place for them? For our listeners um, to to check out Orcs Unlimited and your you various can, games, all of our books are available on Drive Through RPG or RPG Now. You can either go to our website at orcsunlimited.com and click the links through, or you go straight to your RPG Now account and just put in Orcs Unlimited, and all of our books will come up under that. Yay! Yay. Except for the uh, fictions, which go on Amazon because they were done through a separate publisher. Um, so the Plushinomicon and Bugs in the System are on Amazon. So we've been talking with with Pat from Orcs Unlimited. I think I've said this already once at least. Oh, uh, this is number two. It's okay. This, this is number two. Take number two. 
So thanks, thanks for talking with us. Thanks for, for spending some time with us, telling us all sorts of stuff about uh, Orcs Unlimited and, and mentioning the Mentioning the Robotech RPG. I mentioned the Robotech. That's right. And, and playing the uh, the back in my day uh, game. <laughs> it's the back in my day. It's a good game. Now I'm gonna have to make that a game now. Dang it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Send us an advanced <clears throat> copy. We'll review it. Yeah. <laughs> you have, have to say play tested by the the Swarmcast podcast. Exactly. The old guys at the Swarmcast. The old guys at the Swarmcast. <laughs> 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 Partner, why don't I pour you a sarsaparilla? It's about high noon here in the Swarmcast Saloon. Never mean only one thing. It's about time for a quick draw. Bing, 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 bing. So welcome. You're listening to the Quick Draw on the Swarmcast podcast. Pew, 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 pew. And for this one, bang. we... Oh, we had to get that last little bang in there. For this one, we are going to be reviewing the game... Cthulhu Tech by Wildfire and it looks like Black Sky. Two companies uh, had to come together to bring us this quick start. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, well, it does. So this this was part of our quick this was part of our quick draw exchange, which we started um, about a year and a half ago, uh, more or less, give or take. And this is the last. And this one. is the the yeah. This is the last one on the list. So this one was actually chosen for me to run, John, and it was chosen by. Me, Doug. So uh, let's give a quick down of who's sitting at the table who got to play this. Um, I already introduced myself, John, and, and Doug introduced himself. And Calvin's here. I'm going to introduce Matthew. Oh, yeah. So uh, introduce him. I'm going to introduce Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby's here, and she played the game. Yep. So did Matthew. Whoa. Also some cats. Yeah. Well, the yep. cats they are here, they didn't but get the play. cats didn't get to play. We didn't have enough pre-gens for them. It's true. So the general gist of this of the game Cthulhu Tech is it's got a three-tiered sort of I guess play style one where you're either playing um kind of a robotech kind of thing where you're out in space or whatever flying around in mechas fighting other aliens or other things in mecha I'm giving just a really general broad idea there's a tier where it's kind of like Evangelion you're seeing probably sensing a pattern here where you're fighting in some sort of weird giant uh, extra-dimensional mecha thing kind of thing against giant extra-dimensional monster things. Or there's the tier that the quick start covers where you are people who are bonded with some sort of extra-dimensional monster called a tiger. I almost called it a tiger. or There's, a lot, there's a lot of those like, like double vowels in that <clears throat> word. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, Giver or a really weird, messed up version of Power Rangers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see that. Cthulhu Rangers? It's a little, Cthulhu little, Rangers. Weird little kind yeah. of like, Cthulhu there's some sh- there's some shattery elements sort of in it. There's a, it gets really weird and unusual. The it monsters takes- are truly monsters. They do not look humanoid. Even the most human looking of them are giant, are, are like six, seven foot tall, taloned monstrosities. So it's not, you're not human. We made a dude pass out just by showing up to rescue him. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so... So the general gist of the game is is uh, the, the characters are all playing these these tiger guys who are working for a secret organization, trying to keep the world safe by stopping other evil extra-dimensional creatures from coming in. So it's your classic fighting of uh, 
Good versus evil. Secret good guys against bad guys. That's right. So, as the GM, how easy was this game for me to learn, and how much prep time did it take? The, I fear the, that's an unfair question <clears throat> for you, seeing how you got this game choice a year and a half ago, and how can you truly estimate how long it took you? Because you've read it three or four times over the course of the year. Right, because we just didn't know exactly when, when we were going to get together right. to play it. I will say this, it didn't... Um, from, from what I remember from the first time reading it and trying to refresh myself on it, it didn't seem to take a lot of time to to read through the mechanics and get the mechanics part of it down. Mm-hmm. The The quick start guide has a, has a pretty hefty amount of background stuff in it. Um, so it which, gives a good feel for the world. Right, right. So it gives a good feel for the world. And it explains the different tiers of the system. Mm-hmm. And so even though we're not playing it, it gives you some of that background. Right. Okay. Um, so you're right. How much prep time? How easy was it to learn? I think it w- wasn't too hard to learn. Um, the probably the weirdest thing is is that initial like wrapping your head around the die mechanic. Okay. And since you brought the die mechanic up, mm-hmm. what kind of mechanic is that? So you're rolling like a, um, a lot of d10s. You've got a target number that you that you're trying to hit. Okay. So you're rolling your d10s, and you're, you're generally the base of it is you pick the highest one and you add it to your attribute to see if you get that target number. Okay. But if you get multiples of the same number, you could take those instead. And multiples you, as in if you get two fives. If you get two fives or three fours or something like that. Okay. And then you can add all of those together and choose that number instead. Okay. The other thing is if you're rolling three or more dice and you get any, like a straight of any type, like two, three, four, five, you could take that instead and add all those numbers together. But if you get a mix of them, you get to choose whichever one right. is the you best. Choose whichever one's the best. Okay. So I, I, I really like that because it kind of gives some excitement and something to do other than just roll your dice you get to roll your dice and then kind of like look at them and figure it out like right oh, yeah did, did the, is this pair of doubles higher than this run i got yeah or? and i and i yeah. felt it yeah. was it once 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 you kind of explain that to somebody once and they see it once it's it just kind of snaps and you go oh yeah this right. isn't so bad oh yeah right it was i enjoyed i enjoyed the the that die mechanic it was kind of fun i think it also helps with the chance so that these people that are all like super mathy and like to say oh well my probabilities of getting blah would be this it helps randomize that a little bit more yeah because you you can get you know the more dice you get there's more chances Chances. for you to get crazy high numbers right so that's kind of how like i guess it's a kind of a crit mechanic yeah um, Although oddly enough, it has a crit mechanic built into oh, it. Okay, too. I don't right. think we ever managed or, or was that any a crit of that. Fail. It had that as well. Right. Basically, every five over whatever your target number was. Oh, that's how you were doing it. That's the extra dice. Yeah, that's why I kept okay. telling you guys okay. and stuff like, okay, well, this time roll seven dice for this okay. instead of three dice for this. That was part of the mm, crit mechanic. Okay. okay. Um, and and I was the only one who was really getting the crit fails. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. hooray! Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So as the players, um, we've I guess we've kind of been covering this, but how easy was it for you guys to to pick up the the rules for the game and such? I mean, Matt showed up as we started playing. <laughs> yeah, we picked it up in like five minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we right. did kind of purposely take our time going through the rest of us to to kind of go through some of those rules and such and try to decipher some of the stuff yeah, on that character sheet. For the most part, um, it was fairly easy. But like any good players, we found the loop. Right. (laughs) That weren't explained. So, I think I've mentioned it in the other quick draw um, 
reviews. Normally, I just kind of tune out when he, when anybody first explains the rules because it's always so wordy and all that stuff. And, and then that, cause I'm kind of, I'm kind of the con player who's not going to pay attention to the rules until it's my turn. And then I'm like, well, what is this? How do you do this? <laughs> it's part of what I want to do with the quick start to truly see. Is this something you can pick up easily enough? Mm -hmm. However, with this one, I think I tuned out for the first two minutes and then I kind of was like, wait, 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 wait. So I paid more attention to this one, I think, just because certain things grabbed my attention and kind of made me question it first versus the other quick starts that we've tried that I could literally just tune out and play watching everyone else. Mm -hmm. So this one, I think, was on the scale of the other quick draws, the more complicated of the rules. And like it was and it wasn't. Right. They were quick. They were quick. But because of the way, like the dice mechanic, it's a, oh, whatever's highest. Okay, fine. No, no. Or, or, you know, so the the options, it was like, wait, so what are my options? But like, like once you get it, that's that's everything. Correct. Is it, you have a skill, which kind of determines the number of dice you roll and then a stat, which you add to it. Right. And that's. But you look at the character sheet and it looks more daunting because there's more numbers and words on it and it's a smaller print and that's one of those it's like okay. wait so let's let's get into that then uh, let's talk about these pregens uh, what do you guys think of <laughs> not just the the pregens that were available but the character sheets and, and the things such as that everything that went into these pregens what oh. do we think of these <clears throat> like the character sheets and the organization uh, I feel the information is presented well and all that except for one thing so <laughs> they, they kind of do when on on one side, you've you've got your your human form information, and then they kind of do it on the other side. You've got your your Tager form because you're Tiger Tager. Tager, um, right? I'll say Tager. Because um, you're, you're you're transforming into this Cthulhuian beast. Um, except for half of the information was still on the front side. So I feel yeah. like some of the things they kind of needed to duplicate on the back just so you didn't have to keep flipping back and forth. That's right, because all your skills were still on the front side. Yeah. Um, so you, so you're like your stats change when you're this monstrous beast, but your skills don't. So you have to reference the front to get your skill and the back uh, to get right. your stat. Um, also, the lack of possessions. forgot <laughs> yeah, about that until I, was gonna I say just that. looked. None of the characters had any equipment. Now, so. in in the in the book, in the the quick start, there's a part like I think it's after the actual adventure itself. It says your players may be wondering about gear or something like that. Um, if you really want to, you can you can you know equip them with weapons. Uh, just use the stats that are actually in this in the game thing. Um, and to me, it was like. I mean, giving you guns and stuff, it's like, but you could turn into a monster that can melt down half a city block. But the the problem is, is if you a communication expert with no yeah, or um yeah, I I felt my character was the plot enhancing character. Everybody else was super combat oriented. And I had all of the skills needed to actually continue the mission. Like if, 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 oh no, we have to hack Breaking. into a computer. Oh, I'm the only one yeah. that has computers. So, so if we'd only had like three right. yeah, if players, you didn't it would have been a little bit more challenging. Well, like, I don't know that you could have actually done some of the thing. Well, well, didn't uh, Calvin, I, didn't your character have a computer I, I did. Skill, um, it was not nearly as efficient, obviously, but I, I did have computer. Okay. Uh, I could have burned a lot of points into boosting my roles. but So I want to kind of go back to the com- the character sheets. They put, they, how do I put this? 
To me, it looks like they used an Excel program and slapped a header and footer with the uh, graphics on it. Yep. It's, well, yeah. It looks, okay. there's a lot of boxes, a lot of lines, a lot of text. And, you know, like, on typ- typically sides. skills will have, like, the skill name and then a stat, and then maybe sometimes there'll be, like, a right. bonus or something like that. Hmm. And you, usually they try to, like, divide it, those out so it flows within right. the giant block of text. Right. This is literally, like, it, it, centered Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> it's not a terrible looking sheet. I mean, they, they use the blocking efficiently, but right. it just looks like an Excel sheet that has a header and a footer with, with images on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Okay. I've seen John do something like this or better. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just dicking around with Excel. trying to. But on the flip side <laughs> is the character sheet is a front and a back, but then they also have a third page, which is, the background description and a little specialized, your special attacks and, yeah. and a, I, I a think decent the, art. Yeah. I think the coolest part so. is actually they get, they give you a portrait of you in human, human form, form and then you in Taker form. Right. The Takers yeah. are bizarre. bizarre. They're yeah. very creepy. Really and cool. Though. Awesome looking <laughs> yeah. at yeah. the same time. So like, I feel like if the pictures weren't there, you wouldn't get a sense of how Correct. really nightmarish right. Right. you right. are. The art, I think really enhanced the yeah. idea of what your characters are rather than just saying you're bonded with some extra dimensional weird creature. I mean, even, even down to the point that there's, there's literally blood splatter behind everybody's characters. You got a puddle. On yeah. Ca- it looks like Calvin's character, like, <laughs> like stepped on somebody. Well, uh, but to be fair, my character mostly didn't do combat where she was at. You yeah. were and not in a range sense, right. but she kind of teleported to where she was fighting and then teleported away. Uh, one one thing that they, they kind of did the quick draw trope of, yep, there's magic in this system, uh, but none of the characters had it. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a whole, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. a third of the back sheet is all dedicated to spells. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And you noticed it was blank. Does yeah. anybody have spells? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. They talk about, and we, in the quick quicks, quick yeah. start, had to stop a ritual. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know... I don't know, maybe those mechanics are different. Yeah. Or and, sorry, but again, this game is a three-tiered system at the very least, you know, the well, different levels. Uh, so cheating a little, yeah. I've, I've looked into the full full system before. The other t- systems, the other tiers don't have magic because, you know, it's uh, Robotech. It, it's yeah. basically like Robotech fighting uh, Cthulhu monsters. Okay. Right, right. Um, so there's not so many uh, spells mm-hmm. okay. when you're mech fighting. And, okay. Pacific Room style. And, and the quick start does give me general ideas of how the, the magic stuff is supposed to work. Okay. And then turns right around and says, but nothing in this quick start's going to be decent. No, <laughs> yeah. None of the bad guys did either. So and the closest we got was um, two of the pre-gens had a, a special stealth, which actually used what would be the, the magic. magic pool. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The mana pool or whatever you would what want to it, call it. What is it? The Organa? Or, or, yeah. Uh, or, like Oregon. Organa. Organ yeah, Trail. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, the Organ Trail. Um, Organ. 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 Or something like that. Organ. Yeah. yeah, lots of stuff that are hard, are hard to pronounce. Yeah. Yeah, this game This game is also filled with all sorts of bizarre names and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff which is very close to sounding or, or written like other things which might be kind of familiar, but changed. <laughs> ever so slightly yeah. but then there's stuff that they just kind of uh, flat out say nah and you're, you're going up against the forces of Nyarlathotep mm-hmm. uh, we could try to change that name but that's in public but domain but why <laughs> yeah. 
So there's some stuff like that. Now okay. I know that with at least with uh, Calvin's pregen, there was a little bit of there was some contradictory information on a couple of the sheets. Plus, his seemed to have some additional information for certain things that we all had that was not on the other yeah, sheets. It's like right. his, yeah. like like Matt, your character's your your, your entire stealth ability was not on there, so oh, you yeah. had to like ask Calvin over and over again, like, how does that ability work for us? Because it, it, it was like right. Kelvin's was a different edit that everybody else's. Yeah. Like some yeah. of his skills had like like it went into uh, this detail, colon but... this special specialization and nobody else had that so it was kind of right yeah, yeah. yeah you mentioned like, the, the like, two well, companies I, yeah you guys were like well I, mine says mine says duty too mine says duty too mine says duty too and Calvin's would be like mine says duty to the Eldrick the Eldrick Society <laughs> Eldrick Society he said duty <laughs> to so but yeah so mine would seem to be more just like it was written duty. by a different person right. It looks like someone else put that together, and the uh, someone else put the other three together. Yeah. Um, also, the fluff lies. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Let, so let's talk about that. Ruby, you had a pretty good one. I have two really good you ones, a, but because you were let, 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 my, let's talk about the yes. So my, one that a list on mine, uh, one in particular, is what makes nightmare, which was my monster. Uh, more deadly is its accelerated rate of regeneration. It might heal from almost dead to deadly in less than five minutes. My healing regeneration was one per hour slash one per turn. Yep. All right. Which was the same as the dainty flying flitty monster that I was playing. Yeah. And the other two characters had much better regeneration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where Matt's had three a turn. Right. And I had two. Right. So that was one of those weird little okay. And not only did did we not find anything on that particular thing, as far as we can tell, in the reading, but I actually went online and it was, even what I found there was really blanket. Uh, The numbers are actual numbers, unless it says you have a die roll. Right, which which could mean that that this quick start came out with win, and they've since then updated right the, right. the basic rules, and they just haven't updated the, Quite the quick start. Because yeah. we've we found that actually with uh, one of the others we did, actually the one you did, Calvin right. Clockwork Colon Dominion, because mm-hmm. um, they actually contacted us and said yeah, and said uh, well no no that's uh, oh. we've we're updating that because we we've actually updated a lot of our rules. Well, but Matt's contradictory one, which I thought was amusing, was. Uh, <laughs> he has the most feared. Oh yes, that's right. And the most terrifying limit weapons of all the symbiotes. And well, I think uh, we know why. His because eats I can people? shoot mind bullets. No, no, no. Oh, that, that was talking oh, about the mind, mind bullets. bullets. Really? So, that so wasn't even talking about the tentacles from my chest. The things that could right. to kill something. Yeah. yeah. So, so each monster <laughs> kind of had two. Like one, there was a special attack that they could use all the all time. Term, yeah. And then one that took your entire term, correct? Yeah. Which honestly, I feel like we were breaking. Like there was, there should have been some other mechanic to the limit. Like maybe you had to do something before you could do it. Yeah, I kind of. Really I wanted. Powerful. I wanted them to tell me a little bit more about like you know if I use this special ability, here's the skill that I need to roll or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And I just, I just didn't get that. So some of the times I was like, I had to make up some stuff. Like I don't know, do do this. And some of them were like immensely mind blowingly powerful. Uh, Mystic Blast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> so ha- having a little bit of knowledge about the uh, the 
the full game, um, Ruby's character had had what was called hybrid damage, which actually would will effectively damage the next tier up. Of you know, she could actually shoot a mech, and it would hurt with this thing. And yet, Matt's character was the most feared. Right. Like now, the, oh yeah, the anti tank little magic shooter. beam well, thing. Yeah, it's right. it like horrifying. Right. Versus a quarter mile of destruction. Four hundred yeah. yards. Ruby with her, in her a straight wave line. motion gun. <laughs> More terrifying than. Uh, oh yeah. Matt with his mind bullets. And if we were fighting one guy, <laughs> right. I, I was pretty intensely like. But the quick start, yeah. towards... and that didn't really come up that much, right? No. Okay, so we've we've talked about the pregens. It yeah. sounds it sounds like we we they were neat. It's weird. It's like I, I think I, they I were well them. built. Well, we'll, for what we'll, they we'll are. get into, into to what I was going to say a little bit later. No, that's fine. Um, so let's talk about this adventure. How was it, and did it give us a good idea of the setting? <laughs> I'll let you guys start. <laughs> so I think the fluff and what you explained about the tiered system gave us a better idea of the setting and the system than the actual adventure did. Yeah, I agree. yeah, because yeah. I I feel like there was a good opportunity to kind of like slowly introduce you into these Cthulhu and horrors, but instead it's like kind of the first combat you get a, bam you, here's all of them you get a call and uh you got a job go do this and yeah. bam here's here's all of them they're right. literally like i i we were expecting there. that right off the bat right. yeah we were like, like oh, we're oh maybe there should have been like one or two and like oh these are really cool we got like some air quote cultists or something first. we yeah. got some regular right. people first we got no, three was, security guards two security guards to begin with and poor, then poor guys. Those security guards, honestly, those security <laughs> guards had some crazy, crazy jacked up stats too. Okay. <laughs> I know you guys like. I mean, it took you guys a while to take down. Oh, it took us three rounds. Yeah. That that We're, one. You, I well, think we we killed half of the Cthulhuian monsters in. To be fair, we, we stayed in our humor human form to fight the. The without weapons. security guards because without, without weapons. Had no gear. Well, right. well, having looked at the monster stats but, and the security guard stats, I was like, their stats are pretty comparable to some of these monsters, tentacle monsters okay. that you guys are fighting. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some hoss security guards. Well, so, um, good punch to the back of the back of the throat, back of the back of the head, back of the head. So, to me, it, um, I kept, I kept thinking, oh, this is like Shadowrun. This is like Shadowrun. It's like, yeah, right down to the pre-generated adventure. It's just like Shadowrun, <laughs> where it does the thing where it says the players will more likely do this, and it's like, why mm, would they ever do my, that? We we broke it. Our players yeah. would. Yeah, my players wouldn't do that. We apparently no, we did skipped everything, and we skipped a whole act. You talked about that there were four acts. There were three acts. There was the epilogue. Okay. But um, you guys kind of jumped straight into the epilogue because it says if if they rescue this one guy and he's incredibly frightened by what's going on, (laughs) it's like, oh, they did that, then he will spill the beans about half of what's in the epilogue. So but that, yeah, oh, so okay. so I feel like they expected us to do a little more detective work versus. But we 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 took an option that they didn't plan for. It sounds like well, they're also so yeah. John had to to kind of fudge it around, m- make something up to make it work. Right, right. But to me, it was one of these. It's like when you guys said, uh, "Well, we're going to do that," and I'm like, "Well, why wouldn't you do that? The game, the the plot told you about this place." Yeah. Right. It told you this is where you were supposed to go to do this certain thing. So it's yeah. 50-50. Why yeah. wouldn't you go there? So, yeah, it was two options. You talk to person A 
or we could go to location B. And we chose location B, but apparently the entire (laughs) adventure was based off of option A. Yeah, Yeah, it it does kind of read like they want you to go step by step. In a particular order. But, but, they, but they kinda go, but they, they can go whatever yeah. order they want. It's like, can they? <laughs> can, can they really? What are we and gonna so, say, Ruby? And then, no, that was pretty much it. Well oh, okay. and and then the, the later fights were because they threw all of the monsters up front were just the same monsters over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Like that very first experience was yeah. three out of the four monsters right. we were yeah. monster right. types. And then, that we were and then later face. on you you encountered almost pretty quickly monster yeah. number four. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, yay, everyone's favorite question for one of these things. Did you enjoy this quick start? We'll start with Calvin because his mouth's open. I I enjoy, like, the game was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the quick start seemed to be <laughs> meh. I mean, it was, it was, I enjoyed it. It was, could have been written okay. more effectively. Um, but I really, I did enjoy the game. Okay. And I could definitely enjoy the, the characters. So I feel like the, the fluff of the characters, you get a really good sense of what you're trying to do, what they're, they're trying to portray, but mm-hmm. there was some kind of weird typos effectively. Yeah. Um, but like the, <laughs> They develop like really good characters, and like the the fluff in the beginning, you kind of get a good sense of the world, and then the actual adventure kind of falls through. But I think the other two Parts make it, it worth it. Make it worth it, yeah. The, okay. the adventure was was you know good thing your DM's gonna make the adventure because yeah, <laughs> like if you were bringing this quick start to a group of people who were experienced with RPGs. Uh-huh. And you gave him a heads up that, hey, this is going to be kind of a rough quick start, but it'll be great for learning the rules and how you roll dice and all that. Like, it it was fun in terms of learning a new system and all that. But The mechanics for, were there. The, the rules emphasize the mechanics more than the story. But for brand new players, right. yeah. that would be a real rough sell. Okay. <laughs> I think it would also be a rough sell if you didn't have a semi-experienced GM that, that can could roll with the punches and Rescue could, a bad story. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I kind of agree with Matt that it's it's rough, but it does showcase the yeah the they, mechanics. There's a diamond in the rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, in general, I I agree. the The mechanics I think are really neat. Um, the the rules are are I think are pretty solid. Well, yeah, they're pretty solid. Yeah. That's it's it it really does kind of let you get into it and and do everything. Right. And it's not hard to pick up. Yeah. I think the the craziness of what type of characters you get to play at least with <laughs> this type with the takers was was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. it's definitely there's enough of the fluff and everything in there to make me go, oh, "Okay, this game is is um cuz cuz generally I was like Cthulhu Tech, I kind of did the whole eye roll kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like when whenever they put Cthulhu on on anything, how it's like, "Oh boy." This but, is but getting into it, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, and it's and this, stuff. This I feel so, like came out pretty early in the slap cthulhu on i do seem to remember is, yeah. that because yeah, yeah. this has been ar- been around for a while now. i think because i remember seeing this on the shelves shelves with like feng shui like one mm-hmm. yeah so so i remember that kind of stuff uh but yeah but i agree with like what we were all saying the the little sample adventure in there uh yeah. it's good for for saying here's you know hey let's shoot some stuff so you can get used to shooting some stuff let's let's right. let's let's uh do some skill rolls so you can do some skill rolls mm-hmm. um or at least but, one of but, your 
characters can. <laughs> I mean, I could do stuff, but it was more effective for me to do plot things and let, let yeah. the murder monsters handle Woo-hoo. the murder monstering. Okay. So, so, so then real quickly, would this, um, or rather not with this, but based on our experience here, would this, would make you want to check out the full version of Cthulhu Tech? Um, I'll start. I would, because I'm interested in seeing what the other two tiers of it were like. Um, okay. At the very minimum, I'd want to check out and see the other two tiers. I, I would think that it would be really neat to see two other quick starts that focused on that, since it's a three-tiered system. Okay. And it sounds like it tried to want to be able to draw in multiple levels of an audience. Okay. But I'd really only check it out for the other two tiers. All right. What about you, Matthew, coming at you? Um, kind of the same, honestly. Like, um... I'm curious about the other tiers, how they play. Um, I guess I'm a touch biased given some previous RPGs, which, you know, have a similar, this tier of gaming is, you know, totally surpassed by this tier of gaming in terms of damage or just the type of stuff you're doing. Now, I do want to double check. These different tiers aren't meant to be mixed and matched. It's a you choose as a group. Yeah. It's it's like which tier you play. 50 to 1 damage ratio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very similar to like like what Matt So you're not going to be playing an outer space mech with... Cthulhu monster. Not not one of these. Yeah. No. Not one of these. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just just making sure that's out there. <clears throat> Sorry. Continue on. Yeah. No. I was just saying from from previous experiences with those types of games, they they fall kind of flat with me. But this there's enough here to be interesting to at least look at it. Okay. And me, I would I would love to try the other two, but I actually really enjoyed this the the concept behind the you are essentially two characters, mm-hmm. and uh, and I could see playing that again. Yeah, I would like to see how this kind of plays out in a, in a, in a more long term right kind of flow because because the background everything it's all there yeah. it's I, all there. I, I kind of feel like the 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 other two systems might not have the depth because it. It's at some point. It's it's okay. like you're mechs fighting in space. All right. Well, I mean, there's other systems that get that, but I feel like it'd be really good okay. to like if you're having a, a good a, a campaign on this level to every now and then pop into. Oh, we're gonna see what our allies are doing in space and play like a, a session where you're the, you know the mech blowing stuff yeah. up in outer space, doing crazy damage. Yeah, um, and then and that. then you would have that appreciation of how much power you're wielding, considering. You know, those mechs could just wipe your entire party out. Yeah. With okay. Like, right. with like a, a tiny little flick. That yeah. does sound like a neat idea. That would be a neat way to do it. Well, cool. Well, um, well, once again, this was the last of our quick draw exchange. Um, we were reviewing the quick start for Cthulhu Tech by Wildfire and Black Sky. It's always kind of interesting when there's two companies working on a particular thing. I got this quick start uh for those of you playing at home i got this quick start off a drive through rpg which means i paid nothing for it which is awesome nothing uh, is a good number to pay for that things. is a good number not that this game is worth nothing <laughs> it's just it was well, a quick start free available for anyone to download and try yeah 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 Swampcast Podcast brings you games from around the world. Hello and welcome to another Games from Around the World. Today I am talking with Matthias of Yoinging. 
and we're here to talk about Symbolum. Yes, we are. Hi. Hey, Matthias. How's it going today? Well, a bit under the weather, but but um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So now it's fine. <laughs> and I've been really looking forward to talking to you because I've been trying to get you on the show for a while now, and I sort of did a not-so-great cover of your game uh, in our last season. Oh? Yeah. <laughs> mostly, <laughs> it was mostly because I was trying to get Get it covered so that I can include it in my games from around the, my uh, international games table at a local gaming convention here in Colombia. All right. But I would much rather talk to the designer and co-writer of the game and have you tell us more about the game than my interpretation of it. All right. But you are very welcome to help me. Of course, because the game I have written is not necessarily the game you have read, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, if, so uh, a few short words about what Symbolum is, I take it? Uh, yes. The way I've been trying to describe it, it's sort of a non-traditional kind of a dark fantasy. And it includes a yeah, first. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's usually the, the, the way people describe it. Dark fantasy uh, role-playing game. That's true. It's, it's, it's definitely darker than your typical heroic fantasy systems, at least. And I would also guess that it, it has uh, a kind of a, a Nordic, Scandinavian feel to it when it comes to the setting. Uh, also, it's 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 dark in the sense that it's it's much more brutal, damaging, dangerous than than your typical heroic fantasy fantasy game. What can you tell us about the setting of Symbolum? The setting of of the game is we have opted to to work with a, a, a limited geographical uh, setting. It's not, you know, a continent or a world, but instead a more, a smaller area where we have, it's, it's basically one kingdom and it's surrounding mountain ranges and, and this vast forest of Davokar that you were, were uh, mentioning a while ago. So our aim has always been to try to, instead of, a really wide scope, try to capture the nuances and contrasts and depths of the of the setting, both in terms of, of social uh, relations and in terms of, of, you know, differences within as well as between various factions and, and peoples. And, and as this is a fantasy game, we, we also have uh, the different races inhabiting the area. The setup is is pretty simple. Uh, you have this kingdom of Ambria, whose people has about two about two decades ago they were forced to to flee from their native land of Alberetor, south of the mountains, after a devastating war that literally killed their their land, devastated the nature to the the, the point of it, it it isn't even possible to live there anymore. So they had to, had to flee, and they came up promised land of abundance and rich soils and vast forests full of game and, and you know, the rivers with clear water. And they come here, they, they quickly drove the, the local barbarian clans off and established the, the kingdom of Ambria. 
and and uh, it's it's been it's been going pretty well for them for the refugees and Queen Corinthia is the leader of the the embryons, but they are still aiming further north, namely into the massive forest of Davokar, which is not only filled with natural resources that they want to harvest, it is also full of arcane knowledge of ancient ruins left by the the long ago uh, mighty empire of Simbarum. Problem is that there are people in these woods, uh, namely elves, the elves of the Iron Pact, who claim that, that humans uh, once vowed not to set foot in these woods ever again, not to disturb the ruins, not to disturb the, the, the darkness of old Simbarum, which, which slumbers under this, this system of roots and soil. And uh, the elves even claim to, to be in their right to, to use deadly force against humans who venture too deep into the woods. So there, there you have one of the conflicts and one of the, the, the most evident themes of the game. It's this, this conflict or, or clash or at least meeting between uh, civilization and nature. And what happens in this fantastical setting, what happens when nature has, has the capacity to, to react, uh, to retaliate. And this is also actually one uh, one of the features where where people in right have uh, made some parallels to the anime Princess Mononoke, if you know about that one. I'm sure we have a number of listeners who do. Yeah, so that's that's that sort of sums the basic setup of the of the game world. Even though it's focused on one particular area, there's still like another world outside of that that exists that players if they really want to can go to in their own imagination but it's probably not in their best interest to do so well i mean that the great thing about role-playing games as a as a hobby as a pastime as entertainment is that whatever we write whatever we produce it is up to the, the the players of the game to decide what the game will be like at the gaming table. So yes, we we have done some small we have provided some small hints on what is outside of um, uh, the Ambria and Davoka region, as for instance this dead land of Alberetor. But I mean, there I know for a fact that there are gaming groups that already have abandoned Ambria and Davokar and are are building their campaigns in other parts of the, the world because that's what role players do and that's what's so great about role playing. And you do have sort of a an overarching campaign that you're kind of working on right now, right? Yeah. Uh, we actually we have always preferred to design our games based around some kind of narrative. And uh, we are doing that now in Symbolum. At the moment, we are kickstarting the translation of the third episode in the series called The Chronicle of the Throne of Thorns. And it is, I, I guess, Pathfinder players would, would call the episodes 
adventure pods, or Dungeons and Dragons players would call it adventures or adventure campaigns. But they are actually freestanding, standing in the sense that you can you can play the episodes uh, with totally different characters. You don't even have to play all of them. You can pick up number two if you think that, wow, uh, the Forest of Daokar seems interesting and this adventure is set. In that setting, I don't care about episode one. I go directly on episode two. But throughout this this chronicle, which will be six or seven, we have said seven, but it's starting to look like maybe it will become six, six episodes. There is sort of an, a meta story being played out. I mean, some gaming groups will never touch upon that higher politics of the region or the power struggle between the major factions, but will focus on more hands-down adventuring and exploring. Then there are other groups who really enjoy the, 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 the meta play of the trying to understand how different individuals and factions and groups relate to one another and also having the, the players and their characters getting involved in this power struggle. So, so what you do with it is, as I said before, the great thing with role-playing games is, is that you as a game master and you as a player has such a great impact on how things actually turn out in terms of gaming sessions and play. So you could basically take the campaign module or the, the story modules and you can just kind of run them as an individual adventure if you want. Absolutely. So it- Absolutely. No problem. And it's probably... <laughs> I should also mention that not only are these episode parts of the adventure chronicle, each part also develops a certain geographical area or location in in the setting one of the main so for instance the first part of the campaign has about 50% of the book is is descriptions and gm secrets and plot hooks and so on concerning a town called Thistlehold which is placed just at the edge of this massive forest of Davoka. And the, the second part is focusing in on, on the cliff of Carvosti, which is the residence of the high chieftain of the, the barbarian clans. And then the third episode is, you know, about 50% of the book is about Indaros and provides, I mean, it should provide you with, with material for hundreds of hours of, of, of play. So not only is it sort of a campaign book, it's also kind of a source book. Yeah, for these, these important areas of the game. Yeah, exactly. Which probably means so, that you're going to be going yeah. further into Davokar to talk about that more in one of your future books. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a fair assumption. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> no, actually, if if uh, for people who are interested in knowing a little bit about the the chronicle as a whole, there is a document that can be downloaded for free from drive through RPG and from our Kickstarter pages and so on. It's called Symbarum, the Throne of Thorns, and it gives you a short rundown of all the episodes, all the major factions and what happens to them during the stretch of the campaign. 
So that could be that could be an interesting read if you are curious about about the grand narrative of Simurum. Well, I can say it is an interesting read because I've actually read that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you also have another thing out there that's free that you can look at. It's it was like a report or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, it's a report uh, report from in English, I believe it's called the the Royal Secretorium, basically the the secret agency of the Queen, which accounts for the neighboring uh, regions or neighboring countries and what is going on there, focusing especially on on potential threats against the Embryon people. So yeah, that's also a free download. And it was, it was created to, to provide uh, players with, with a sense of uh, anchoring the Embryon Davaka region in, in a greater whole without necessarily going into, you know, deep descriptions of each region. It's sort of a summary of the outside world outside of Ambria. Yeah. So that way, but, it... but very clearly from an in-game perspective, from the perspective of how the Ambrians relate to their surroundings. So it kind of gives players a way to, if they want to do a campaign in Alberto, yeah, or someplace else, that kind of gives them sort of a resource as well as a map. If I remember correctly, yeah, so they can absolutely. so they can do something there, or they could also just be one of the queen's secret agents going out there. Yeah, as well. I believe before the actual in-game report is presented, we have a short introduction where we also write a little bit about which of these areas will be the topic of future books from us at uh, Team Janringen. But I mean, again, gamers are ro- role-playing gamers are are <laughs> are and will be uh, and should be free to do whatever they want with the setting. All we can ever do is offer tools, offer suggestions, offer guidance, offer the ingredients for for cooking a really nice game session <laughs> or meal <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So, and that's, we are very aware of this. Even if Symbarum launched, I mean, it's, it's only two years ago on the, the English market. We've been at this since 02, I believe we, we launched our first game in Swedish. Uh, and one of the things we, we have at times struggled to learn, but we have learned is that there are as many different types of or styles of play as there are gaming groups and the preferences between what different gaming groups actually want from a from a ready-made product or a ready-made adventure is is very very different and again our our aim is to you know is to support gaming not because because <laughs> game masters in particular and role players in general seldomly you know they take things at face value or 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 accepts the ready we have never done it i mean we've played role playing games for for together in in our team for 3 decades or more and we have never played a, an adventure or taken a, a source book literally ever <laughs> as they are written 
And that's 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 what we do, we gamers, right? Yeah, I've done that because uh, I remember there was once the the old Rifts game or the old Palladium system. Yeah, yeah. Right. They had uh, vampires were like some alien intelligence, which I never liked. So I always change mm. that. <laughs> I like my traditional but vampires. To each his own, right? Exactly. You should be able to make a game fun for yourself. Yeah, and and the thing is, looking at we we cannot do it that. Because we don't know you. So you have to take our stuff and make it your own and make it fun for you and your friends. And the best we can hope for is to have the ingredients there to let you do that. We've all been working quite a lot in the digital, you know, video games industry. Oh. And it's, and it's very different speaking to video gamers compared to to uh, role-playing gamers or tabletop gamers. Because when talking to a video gamer, you're talking to a consumer. Yeah. Yeah. But when speaking to a game master or a player of your role-playing game, you are, in fact, uh, speaking to a co-producer or a co-writer or or a director, maybe. Someone who, you know, they, they yeah. Who does something creatively with your stuff? Yeah, because you're you're basically just adding fuel to whatever fire they're building. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I would love to do that. If, <laughs> if we do that, we have we have done what we should. And that's a, I think that's a sign of a good game right there. So as we're talking about all the fun stuff, let's talk about the really fun stuff: the rules. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> everyone loves rules. So what can you tell us about like the rules and the mechanics of Symbolum? Yeah, in short, it is a D20 roll under system where the players handles, ideally handles all die rolls. And we are working with a kind of um, resistance system, which makes it possible to leave all the important dice rolls to the players. With the advantage, the game master can, you know, lift his or her eyes from the from the table and work on, on telling the story and playing the NPCs or the monsters or whatever. So basically, the, the GM would be more able to focus on the actual storytelling yeah, and that the was, actual, like, rule oiling. Yeah, that's what uh, I was trying to say. <laughs> you should know that you're not talking to the, the designer of the rule set here. Uh, I'm, I'm the designer of the, the setting and the, most of the adventures and stuff, but... I'm also the producer, so I, I, I'm fairly uh, versed in how the rules work, also since I've played the game quite a bit. No, uh, it, it is, I mean, in, in the normal situation, when you have a PC facing uh, a forest beast, for instance, you have the player role to hit, and maybe the, the game master rolls a defense role for the, the beast, in this case, the role that the player does to hit is already modified by the defense value of the beast. So you get about, and, and the same goes, if, if the player hits, you roll your damage die modified by a statistic damage uh, or armor value of the beast. Uh, so you have the amount of rolls in that sequence. And then when you turn it around, the initiative comes to the, it's the beast's turn to retaliate 
the player actually rolls again, this time trying to roll under his or her defense value, modified by the, the accuracy of the beast. And should the beast hit, the player rolls a die for his or her armor value, while the, the beast deals a fixed set of value, 3, 4, or 5, or something like that. Or if it's it's a really horrendous abomination from the, the deep parts of Davokar, it may deal 20 in damage and you have to yeah and you have to have quiet the 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 armor to to resist it and it sounds like it could possibly be a faster system than some games because yeah if you're fighting definitely is it definitely is yeah because if you're fighting something for a long time you kind of figure okay this is this is what its values are so i'm going to already calculate that so i don't have to sit there and ask the gm no, and, and it's also, it. yeah, it's also much more deadly than your average fantasy, heroic fantasy system. We usually, when, when we are asked about these things, we usually say that if you have five PCs going up against five NPCs, you can probably handle that, that combat scene in 30 to 40 minutes. And so far, no one has protested. So I think we're in the clear on that one. Yeah. And also, I should say that, that the rule system is quite heavily focused on combat abilities and combat powers or, you know, combat situations in general, while problem solve, other kinds of problem solving, other kinds of social challenges are much more rules light. And, and why? Because this is, how we like it. <laughs> we always try to write the games we love to play. So, <laughs> so, so, but they, they, there have been uh, suggestions made and there are also fan based systems for, for developing the, you know, the, the rules mechanic when it comes to social challenges and, and so on. So basically, when it comes to like investigating or socializing, it's more focused around the role-playing than it is about the rules. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it is. I mean, we, have, uh, we, we also have this kind of design idea that first, all abilities that are in the game should be useful. There are no abilities where you like spend your your hard earned experience on on this ability and you get to roll it like once every fifth adventure or something like that. <laughs> so when it comes to problems problem solving, we have quite wide reaching abilities that covers a lot of different stuff. While the combat abilities can be more specific and directed to different kinds of combat tactics. And you also have cards that you can play with to have the different abilities on there, so you can have all your abilities laid out in front of you. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's yeah. Uh, in, uh, basically, it's, it's a substitute for, it's a great substitute for flipping through the books, looking for the rules for this or that. Both the players and the GM can prepare beforehand by picking out the abilities and the mystical powers that a PC or the NPC has. And you don't have to pick up the core book once every 10 minutes to check check something up. 
No, it's a it's a nice product. When people started asking for this, it's a it's a box including two card decks. I think it's in total 120 cards. I wasn't sure what they were talking about or what they would do with it, what it would be good for. <laughs> but I must admit that now that we we do have it, I cannot play without it. <laughs> uh, it it's a fantastic little product. So I'm I'm really glad that people were I wouldn't say nagging, but repeatedly uh, repeatedly asking us to produce it. Yeah, I personally have two decks myself. Oh, yeah, mm. one for me and one for the players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the way to go. And I just want to go off in a minute on the artwork. Uh, you have a very beautiful sort of minimalist style of art that goes with the system that I think kind of conveys the feeling of the game. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it uh, kind of gives you an idea of how, and it kind of fits how you've been describing how you want the game to go. But it kind of gives you a, a good idea of the world, but it leaves out some of the details for you to fill in. Yeah, that's. Uh, I am not the artist, so <laughs> I shouldn't. But but what one of the 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 strength I believe of the the game as a whole is that we are working with one artist only. And this artist also happens to be one of the the founders of the company and the creators of the game. And we have known each other for, as I said, going on uh, more than three decades, playing together, fantasizing together. And this means that, I mean, he develops the game world as much as I do when writing the game. And often... I can, you know, send him a description of a scene or a, a setting and something else comes back and it's much cooler, much better. So I end up rewriting the text instead. <laughs> uh, so it's it's very much a give and take between us. Yeah, you're not the first one to say it and we are we are very happy ourselves with how the the game looks. Yeah, it it can be kind of confusing when you have a game that has different artists and different styles. But having one, it kind of gives you more of a, this is how the world is. Yeah. What plans do you have for Symbolum in the future? To be completely honest, we have a hard time formulating, you know, really long-term plans other than the fact that we will be around, like, forever, and the game will. <laughs> because we really love what we're doing and we are also feeling a lot of love from, from players all around the world. Uh, the game has been translated into, I think it's available in six languages right now and we have a seventh on the way. But uh, as a growing company with, you know, <laughs> very limited staff, it is, it is kind of difficult to uh, we, we, we mostly react at the moment. We have like, we plan one year ahead, uh, and not much more. Uh, we know that, you know, the episodes of the Throne of Thorns will keep coming. We will try to, to release one part a year. The next one, uh, coming in Swedish around Christmas and then about six to eight months later in English. We also have some plans we're currently working on on a game master's source book. We already have a, a player source book. Then we have some other plans which I <laughs> I cannot I, I don't want to go into detail because it is 
it's about stuff that hasn't been decided yet. And okay. you know, if I I describe that we will do this, then people will be so disappointed if it turns out that we will do something else, even if the something else is even cooler. So I hope that you and others will forgive me for being. Oh no, that's uh, fine. That's fine. I don't want you to have people yelling at you, ring like, "Why didn't yeah. you do this? Or why didn't you do that? You said you would." No. But we also try to listen. That one of the, the reasons why I don't want to go into too much detail too far ahead, because we do listen to what the gamers say they want and what they don't want, and try to not let the fans dictate what Symbarum is going to be, but more what kind of products you guys want us to focus on writing and illustrating and, and so on. Because you're writing the game for the players, so you want their input so that that way they get the product that they want as well as the product that you want. Yeah, I mean, at least try to find some mutual ground uh, between... Because I think if we start writing Symbarum into something that we don't like ourselves, it will become a pretty boring game pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. we, we, need, we need to feel love for the setting and, and, you know, enthusiasm for each and every product or else we will not do a very good job. I mean, you can do both. You can, you can do stuff that you like and that you know that people want to have. Yeah, you don't want your labor of love to just become labor. Yeah, that is so not <laughs> good. That is just a job, and you don't want to do that. <laughs> no, we're doing this because we don't want to have jobs. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Although I must say that since since I left the, my tenure at the university, I, I have probably never worked as much as since then. <laughs> yeah, but you but, love what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. So, what would you say sets this game apart from other games? Oh man. Do you want to take this question yourself? <laughs> no, I, I, actually, I think it's really, really difficult to to pinpoint. It's much easier to, to talk about that sort of questions regarding games that other people have made. I am so immersed in the setting of Symbarum and the, the, the system of Symbarum but, that it's, it's hard to, to gain perspective. But... Well, uh, I, I can actually feel that a few times. Because, uh, yeah. like, in, say, Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, you goblins are typically the monster, where in Symbarum, it's a playable race, along with, like, ogres. And that is true. And elves, which in every other game is a playable race, isn't, unless you have the player's guide. In which case, they still aren't, like, they're not normal. Is that normal? They are not Tolkien. They are not Tolkien elves. Uh, actually, <laughs> one of the things that we we usually say when introducing the game is that in Symbarum, the elves are they have in in default they have like the same position as the orc do in other games because they are they are like the default enemy. You typically play a human, an ogre, or a goblin, or a changeling that wants to get access to Davokar, this massive forest with all its secrets and treasures and and so on. And in your way, it's not orcs, but elves. You you do not fear the... I mean, there are trolls, which is maybe our equivalent to orcs. There are trolls in the forest. 
but you're mostly afraid of the elves. Honestly, I think your trolls are about as scary, uh, well, probably scarier than most normal trolls. Especially oh, considering, that's good to hear. <laughs> especially considering that some of them can actually cast magic and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The arch trolls are, well, intimidating, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, you're totally right. And, but I should say, it's not like, we sat down and and decided that in our game the dwarves will shoot bows and the elves will wield axes <laughs> and build the game from there. We we actually did, it's a funny thing, you know. We we always try to start developing our games from a basic theme, and in this case, as I said, the the basic conflict of the game is that between civilization and nature. And as soon as that was established, we knew that the elves would play a different role in our game than in other games that doesn't have that, you know, basic conflict. Because the elves would be not the creatures, maybe of nature, but the creatures that understand what human cultivation, exploitation does to the world. And they have seen over the millennia, they have seen the results of nature responding or reacting with fury to these transgressions. So so that was... And then we started thinking about goblins. I don't know if... Because some... I, I, I don't want to go into details here because I know that some GMs will be mad for me spoiling some stuff. But <laughs> uh, all, all, all these playable races that you mentioned, the ogres, the goblins, the changelings... There are in the core rulebook. They also have a, a very clearly defined story uh, that is linked to this main conflict of the game that the players not necessarily learns until after having played the game for for quite some time. I think that the way that you have the play the playable races set up really does fit the feel of the civilization versus nature. Where goblin, mm, cool. goblins are—you kind of see them as like most goblins usually have like a large pack or something like that. So it'd be kind of like a city, and yeah. goblins in a city—that doesn't really sound out of place, really. So no, especially not in Simarum. Maybe someone would say that the goblins are our equivalent to to the halflings in other game systems, although much more wild <laughs> yeah in the it, it, wild in the in the true sense of the word <laughs> you you know they literally come from living like predatory beasts in the in the forest and in the the mountains and then the the ambrians this this new kingdom is established and the goblins find that by working and toiling for these humans we can get their protection and we can put food on the table without risking our lives every day, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so the goblins becomes sort of a the go-to guys when it for everything that is dangerous or too difficult or too hard or strenuous for humans to deal with. They're sort of the go-to guys for cleaning out the sewers or yeah. attacking this, the swarm of plague rats. <laughs> Exactly. And one glaring uh, omission that you seem to have in your game is you don't have orcs. No, but as I say, as I say <laughs> that sounded like an accusation. <laughs> 
No, I think it's it's I think it's fine. Uh, no, I, I mean orcs. Um, we have trolls and we have <laughs> elves, and and that's that's quite enough. And if you, I mean, the, it it is absolutely no secret that uh, troll the trolls of Simbrum, just like the elves, they evolve in in cycles or phases so there it's not like there's one kind of troll uh, but there are there are the rage trolls that are i would say kind of like uh, your archetypical orc about human size a little bit uh, more aggressive but still able to build some kind of uh, culture and society so that that's the rage trolls they are Kind of works. Then you have the the leech trolls, and finally the arch trolls, which are you probably would say more like the giants of another setting. Hmm. Yeah, you have a lot of creatures in your game that you don't want to run into in a dark alley. Or no, and and I can I can tell you that as I am as I am putting the finishing touches on the monster codex, those those <laughs> those kinds of creatures will become even more plentiful. I do like how you have it so that the, the, they kind of evolve over time. Like the no, elves. yeah, some of them at least. I well, mean, the, elves, and then, the elves, they have like the different seasons as they get older. Yeah. And then the, the trolls, they as they get older, they get new titles and much nastier. Yeah, this is actually, uh, I mean, looking at nature, we have this this idea that a tree, for instance, I mean, it grows until it dies. And then it dies. <laughs> it's not like humans. We we evolved up to a certain stage, and then we fade slowly, fade away. But we we have tried to capture another kind of rhythm uh, for for the elves and the trolls and a couple of other creatures, which which will be introduced if they haven't been already. Where much like a butterfly or something evolves through different phases in life and uh, with the difference that that the elves they can enter the the cocoon several times during their their lifespan and in that dormancy or in that period evolve into something else into something more i like how you actually put thought in that whole process where most people is just like this is this is a bugbear this is always gonna be a bugbear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah. you, you have like you have a liege bugbear and you have like uh, an arched bugbear or a titan bugbear. <laughs> one um, one of the things we we decided early on when we made our very first role playing game called uh, Mutant Heirs of Doom. It's actually the same b- mutant brand which is now Mutant Year Zero, another Swedish international game. And we made the decision early on that we we would try to avoid having monsters with what do you call it in English an epithet? epithet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a giant bear, bear, <laughs> or or iron crow, or <clears throat> or a dire bear, or dire. Yeah, exactly. We we would try strive all all the time to you know make each creature not a huger version of something else <laughs> or yeah yeah i think you get what i'm yeah it, it, trying force, to it forces you to come up with more original ideas yeah and 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 it forces you to think based on the setting you are working with rather than 
stealing stuff from from our world and just modifying it a bit. Yeah, instead of having an entire book of dragons of different colors or metal types, you actually mm. have like different types of dragons, or you know, just a dragon, and that's just bad enough. <laughs> yeah, that, that's when when you're saying it. Again, I'm not spoiled. Want, I don't not want to spoil anything here. But uh, there are no dragons in Symbolum. No! no. <laughs> to be honest, I probably wouldn't want to see your dragons in that game because you have enough horrible things in that forest. <laughs> there are lindworms. Yes, those are pretty bad enough. Those are pretty bad enough. And you have the arch trolls and so on. Uh, and then we will see what, what the Monster Codex uh, has to offer in terms of other creatures. Actually, I do want to bring up one thing. You do sort of have an epitaph. Uh, you have, uh, yeah. like, the Blightborn creatures, which is... so You take, like, I think you get, like, a Blightborn yeah. elk, yeah, which is just a regular elk, but much which more Which has horrific. been corrupted. It, it's been corrupted. Yeah, in that case, we... Because in that case, it actually is also in that world a being that was something else before, but that has become Blightborn. So, so in that case, I, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's not like it's like oh, it's not just bigger. No, it, it is like terrifying because like it's an elk, but it has like 17 more horns and it's <laughs> dripping black ooze and all this other horrible stuff. Yeah, which is one thing we haven't talked about. You actually do have a corruption system in yeah. your game. Okay, cool. Uh, that we, we should mention a little bit about it. Corruption is that which you can say that it is the the essence of the of the uh, the nature reacting to being violated or cultivated or you know not necessarily exploited but you know organized, <laughs> which is violence in itself. So okay. So basically, when, viol- violence against nature is what causes the corruption. Yeah, that's that's the predominant theory, at least. And much uh, <laughs> now, I'm trying to talk from a game world perspective here. Maybe I shouldn't because it it gets confusing. <laughs> but yes, that's that's how we see it. That when one very clear example is using mystical powers or magic. Which is a way to, you know, warp and twist and violate the, the natural state of, of creation. And when you do that, you suffer from its wrath. It strikes back at you in the form of corruption. Now, if you learn the ways of one of the mystical traditions, for instance, wizardry or witchcraft, you you can learn to lessen the the impact of the corruption, but there is no way to totally escape it. So uh, rules wise, it becomes sort of a system to you know limit the the capabilities of the mystic. You cannot cast too many spells one of the the other because then you will become blight stricken first and if it goes really really well you will actually you will become thoroughly corrupt and turn into uh, one of these blight beasts that you talked about you will become a raving creature of the night that does nothing but you know hunger and destroy and i like that because lot of game systems, magic is just ooh look, I can make all these sparkly effects anytime I want. Where this one, Mm. you actually 
because I, li- I like the idea that magic is kind of a taxing thing on you and it drains you or yeah. it affects you in some way. And I like how this is like, yeah, you can cast whatever spell you want, but it's eventually going to twist you into this dark world of thing. Mm. And yeah, and then, then there are the sorcerers who who actually, which is a tradition of, you know, necromancy and, and such, who actually juice the essence of corruption in order to strengthen their their spells. But, you know, that's kind of a slippery slope, and, and many of them end up being less than human, or at least something else than human. So, and then, I mean, also... There are other ways for that corruption comes into to to play. For instance, there are areas inside the forest of Davokar and possibly even in Umbria that actually corrupts anyone who uh, travels there. And then there are these these beasts and monsters that whose natural weapons can actually infect you with corruption with each hit. So not only uh, do you get damaged, you also get corrupted when when fighting them. So this system of corruption, it both it is it is a mirror of the central conflict of the game and the theme of the game, but it also has some really interesting rules implications that that I would say makes the system work better. And it's not like the Cthulhu games where it's like a permanent thing. There is permanent corruption, but yeah, a lot of the corruption is also temporary. Yeah, normally when a spellcaster, a wizard, or a theurg, which is mystic priests, normally when they are using their powers, they can do so up to a limit before starting to suffer permanent corruption, and that limit is pretty high. So they can do quite a lot of damage, and then at the end of the combat scene, this temporary com- corruption will fade away. So it, it is limiting, but it is limiting to, to the scene, not to the, you know, the, the life of the character as a whole. Though it can be if you overuse it. It absolutely can be. So, uh, and I mean, you will end up in situations where, where you are about to really, I mean, you, you're facing a total party kill and <laughs> you know that if, if I use this power again, I may be able to save us, but on the other hand, I will have to roll 1d4 uh, temporary corruption, and this may leave me that may surpassing... Leave me with a, that may leave me with like a permanent corruption. Yeah, surpassing the, the, the corruption threshold, meaning I get permanent corruption, and then things can go downhill really, really fast. <laughs> so so th- there there are some interesting... You know, and, and there are also these mystical artifacts, let's call them magic weapons and such, <laughs> that also you can, you can use and you can use their various powers as you don't have to be a mystic to do so. You can be your standard warrior type and using those powers will also earn you some temporary corruption. So you can't, cannot use their, that, those abilities too often or, or you end up yeah, a, a raving, hungering uh, loon or monster, I should say. It's, this sort of brings me to uh, something I kind of wanted to mention, which is your little quick start adventure you have that you can get for free. Yeah. Which is also the, mod, the adventure you have in the main book. Exactly. Which 
kind of touches on many of these different topics and I think gives you a good introduction to the actual world. Yeah, it, 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 there are some people likes it, some people don't. Um, we are quite fond of it because it is very simple, it is very straightforward, it is written for uh, not only uh, newcomers to Simborum, but also for, for um, newcomers to the Game Master, <laughs> uh, I was about to say profession, but it, it should be possible to, to it's, run. It's for, it's for new Game Masters and players. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and uh, with that, with that sort of in mind, we have with it starts with with a narrative tutorial, which sort of demonstrates how how the the communication between game master and player may flow during a couple of scenes in the in the game, and then we we introduce I think it's eight or nine pre-made uh, player characters, which are also featured in that free PDF starter adventure and then comes the the actual introductionary uh, or tutorial adventure um, based on three fairly uh, clear-cut scenes uh, describing the journey from the old dead alberator over the titans and into the promised land of ambria and i like the fact that you use the word tutorial because it very much feels like an actual tutorial, like for a video yeah. game or something like that. <laughs> yeah, may, may, actually, maybe that the fact that we we have worked a lot in the video games industry <laughs> uh, is reflected in the structure of that adventure, uh, for good and bad. Yes, though yeah. there is there is one flaw in the free PDF that I just want to bring up, but I there's also one other thing I want to mention to kind of counter that flaw. And the flaw of that is, is those characters, they all have abilities and traits, which are not mentioned in the free PDF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, you mean that we should have an addendum or an appendix with the actual... Uh, well, you can do that, yeah. but you also have this amazing community yeah, of we do. fans, and they have actually created... There's at least two apps that I can think of that... Much like those cards that we had talked about earlier, they basically you can get the abilities and traits on your phone. Yeah. So instead of having the cards, you can, and it's a free app too. There's two of them. Yeah, I think I think there's there's two of them, right? Yeah. Uh, it is if you look for either the app Symbolum or Simbook, they both have the traits in there, traits and abilities, so you can actually look them up. If you do do the free download. Uh, exactly, yeah. That's a great, great source to get the information that helps you. And it's just fun. You can also get a kind of a feel of the game by looking at the traits and stuff to see what's available. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, I think I will immediately add a link to our Kickstarter, ongoing Kickstarter campaign linking to those apps. All right, so where can people find your company and your games? You should be able to find us on Amazon, or I mean, our our closest friends and allies on the international scene is Modifius, a British company which does Conan and uh, Star Trek and a lot of other really cool games, Mutant Chronicles. 
Yeah, we, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about Modifius. We haven't, I haven't yeah. gotten them on the show yet either. <laughs> no, so so if you're looking for our international web shop, you will find it with Modifius web shop. There you can find all the Simbron products in English. But, I mean, we have the same distributor as Modifius, so... If your your friendly local gaming store doesn't have Symbarum, you should be able to ask for it, and they should be able to take it. We have actually had a little bit of a problem supplying America with with uh, core books because they seem to uh, run out uh, <laughs> faster than we can ship them over. But hopefully, they, this will be remedied um, before long. The more the, the, the player base is, is growing, the easier it will become for us to, to make sure that there are, are plenty of stock of the books. And you can also find your games, the PDFs at least, on DriveThruRPG. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a, that's a, I mean, PDFs are, are coming strong, and it's a great way to start learning about a game. It's not much of an investment buying a, a PDF. So that's, that's a really good thing. Yeah, there's a, there's a few games that I've bought the PDF for, and then I was like, oh, I really like this game. So then I either backed the game on yeah, Kickstarter or bought it over, mm. you know, whatever. Because PDFs are usually significantly cheaper than the hard copy. Of course. But I'm sort of an old, old time gamer. I like to have the, I like to have the physical copy in my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm exactly the same, but uh, we, I think we're a dying breed. <laughs> we we forty forty plus, you know, uh, <laughs> who, who didn't grow up with this brilliant way of consuming literature that is the the the, the PDF. Yeah, well, we'll see how, who's who's smiling at the middle of the convention when you can't find a plug to plug your top <laughs> into. <laughs> <laughs> true, <laughs> very true, very true. So we've been talking with Matthias with Yoingen Games, and we've been talking about Simbarum. Go check him out on Modifius or Drive Through RPG. Thank you, Math- Matthias. Thank you very much for having me. It was a blast. It was great to have you on finally. Great to be there. <laughs> hey, thanks. Hey, Toast, what's behind this door? It's the designer's dungeon. Oh, yeah. you didn't. Yes, I sure did. Ah, <laughs> uh, Toast. Locked him up. I didn't mean actually keep designers yeah. in the dungeon. Well, it's too bad. They're there. Well, let's go talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> they're making, like, rough them up or something. We are getting ready to dive into Designer's Dungeon. You guys spent a lot of money on music. <laughs> <laughs> You have no idea. So I, of course, am John, and with me on this segment, I have one of our regular hosts, Matthew, coming at you. Hey, coming at you. How's it going, Matthew? It's going pretty good. So you excited for this uh, this new segment we got going on here? I am very excited for this new segment we've got going on here. Yeah. It's a fun there's, new thing. There's going to be all sorts of cool stuff we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all sorts of neat ideas, because basically what we're going to be doing on this segment is we get a game designer or someone who's representing a game company, somebody in the biz, in the industry. In the know. Yeah, and we're going to pick their brain about a particular topic, usually something I'm thinking that's very... Um, I don't know, current or, or just very pertinent to that particular guest. Yeah. Sound pretty good? It does. All right. Because then I get to be in the know as well. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, that being said, uh, we should probably get a, a guest on for this this segment. Probably be a good idea. Uh, who can we get? Someone who's reliable, but not too reliable. You know, just enough edge? Just enough edge. Somebody who, who never has a problem with any type of uh, technology or such breaking down right before a uh, one of these interviews. Who, who could that be? And now the man that Jason Anarchy from Jason Anarchy Games says has a really cool name for the gaming industry. <laughs> Kurt Covert. I mean, it is a pretty sweet name. Yeah. It is that. Smirk and Dagger Games has quite a few games coming out and already out. In fact, I know uh, Matthew was looking at the games going, oh, I, for- I forgot that was one of theirs. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been talking about, you know, I really want to play this one. He's like, I've got that one. We'll bring it over and we'll we'll play it and review it at some point. He's like, Yeah. Cool. Are there any current ones that are, that are maybe have just hit the market or, or just out or, or some, some that you're excited that are getting ready to come out? Because I know there's at least one that I'm excited that's getting ready to come out. At Gen Con last year, we launched Paramedics Clear. Mm-hmm. which is just a pulse-pounding heart attack of a game. Um, and uh, it's been doing very well. We came out uh, just after that with uh, Cutthroat Caverns 5. And um, that is a uh, a recent expansion that, man, it's probably some of the best content we've done for Cutthroat in, in years. And just a lot of great creatures, all focused on the incarnation type, uh, which are usually some of the, the more special and fun types of encounters to handle as well as more relics and events all themed on these incarnations, uh, both in the box, all the way going back to the original base game. So that was uh, really cool. Um, By the way, Mm -hmm. just since we're talking about Cutthroat for the moment, this August, we are looking to launch Cutthroat Caverns, the app. Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, So it'll be um, essentially all the content from uh, from the base game um, and it's uh, it's gotten just a little bit of a, a facelift. Um, the original the original game looks every bit it's you know ten some odd years now, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was back when we really didn't have an art budget to speak of. So um, so we're making um, some I think some necessary changes that eventually uh, make it to cardboard as well. But we're going to start it with the app. That's really cool. So is it going to have um, multiplayer capability or? or... Well, you know well, what? Guess... We, we, we looked at it, um, you know, pretty closely. And what we decided was that because there's so much opportunity to interrupt other players, that having anything with lag would kill the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for that <clears throat> reason, it's going to be a solo game only, but you'll be able to um, play against three other AI opponents out of six uh, personalities. So we've really looked at all the different types of players that have come and sit at the game, uh, whether they're you know kind of like tit for tat players, whether they come in with a grudge against one player, um, whether they're like the peacemaker. There are personalities at the table every time you sit, and we've done our best to simulate those personalities in the AI opponents. Now that's really cool. That is cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I hadn't thought about the whole, um, you know, you you definitely don't want lag in that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it just is looking beautiful. Um, So I'm really excited about it. This is uh, being done by uh, Cell Block Studios. Uh, They're the developers that uh, helped us out with the Paramedics Clear app. 
as well as an app that's uh, coming later in the summer for one of our, our games as well. So it's, it's looking great. And uh, I, I think people are going to almost feel like they're playing live opponents because I think that was the real challenge in, in bringing this to solo play. Since it's so much about the player interaction and the, the you know, stab your buddy, you want the emotional impact of what you do to be felt around the table. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've tried to indicate through the, the characters that you see on screen that that is happening. I, I see what you're doing. You know, if you rearrange all the letters in Smirk and Dagger games, it spells Skynet is real. <laughs> so that's what's going on. No, it, it, it doesn't actually do that. Uh, but it would be really cool. <laughs> Next time. There's, there's no Y in there. So, you know, it's an implied Y. <laughs> Sky, Skynet is in there. There's a Y in Smirk. Smirk. Oh, no. Smirky. Oh, well. It's an invisible Y. <laughs> so when a Y shows up in their name all of a sudden, ah, mm-hmm. no Y. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's some cool stuff. Uh, Cutthroat Caverns coming coming to app. Yeah. Yeah, and having a but, full game as an app as opposed to sticking with the companion apps. That's mm-hmm. yep. fun. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, of course, um, the game that is just about to release, um, in fact, I just heard from my warehouse that they, they just took delivery of it, is the game... Um, not so fast. Very which, cool. Which is the very first game in our new Smirk and Laughter line. That is the focus of our main discussion here, because uh, you mentioned it's the first game in your Smirk and Laughter line, and you've got a you've got a couple other games that are listed on your website for uh, Smirk and Laughter. I sure do. Yeah, we decided to launch it with uh, with three titles. Mm-hmm. Um, one um, to kind of show the breadth and depth of the line and kind of define it. But also because uh, the the whole point of um, of bringing another line in was to allow us to produce more games per year. Now that I'm doing this full time, without diluting the core brand and and what it stood for. So you know, Smirk and Dagger, obviously, for anyone you know who's played our games, we've been for 14 years dedicated to the stab stab your buddy games. You know, anything with a good take that mechanic uh, where you're you know. Uh, gnashing your teeth and cursing their names that's what we absolutely loved at at the table but to do six games a year that were all really really great backstabbing games <laughs> probably not going to happen or at least would be really difficult so um so we decided to uh to kind of expand our our shoulders a little bit but again not change what smirk and dagger was so the addition of smirk and laughter allows us a whole new territory to play in as much as i personally love take that games they're not everyone's cup of tea right so it's always been a polarizing line which is probably why we've never had like that one mega hit that put us on the map you know if you love take that games then you know about our games but otherwise we had nothing for you so what this is now doing is it's really widening our audience and what I'm doing with this brand and, and how how it's different and how it's connected to the core brand is that even Smirk and Dagger, when I started to boil it down, what I loved so much about Take That Games is I love when people get emotionally involved in a game. And certainly, you know, laughing at someone's misfortune, you know, putting the screws to somebody, you know, all of that gets to a lot of really rich emotional space very quickly. But what's going to be continued as part of the philosophy of Smirk and Laughter games is that they're all still going to be really emotionally centered games. It's just now the the emotional 
palette of colors we have to paint with are a lot more diverse. Not So Fast is a really boisterous party game where you're smashing your knuckles together. Koi is it's interesting. It's 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 a mixture of both like a very almost zen-like uh, light strategy game, but it's got a little fleck of take that in it, but it doesn't have the edge. It, it's a very tranquil experience nonetheless. And then um, Before There Were Stars is one of the most emotionally satisfying storytelling games I've, I've ever seen. So these three games together really help showcase what this new brand is going to be all about. Okay. Yeah, because it, it does seem like that all three of those are going to cover a nice wide spectrum. Yeah. And I got to admit, the pictures I've seen so far of Net So Fast, that game looks like it's really fun. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hysterical. So... Not so fast is a um, like I said, it's it's a it's a very boisterous party game, um, and it's a it's a quick reaction flinch kind of a game. So if you've played either uh, Jungle Speed or Ghost Blitz, it's in that same genre. But I think this is potentially the the game that kind of steals the crown in that genre because it really ups the party atmosphere of the experience. So. Yeah, you're, you're flipping cards, and as you do, you're flipping away from yourself, and you're looking for you know a trigger event, which is normally four matching pictures of, of nuts. For example, like walnuts or cashews, uh, pistachios. And as soon as you see a match of four, everyone reaches to the center of the table to get the wooden token that matches that particular nut. Now, there's one less than the number of players, so someone's not going to get one, and that person is going to take the those cards as points against them underneath their stack. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and, and these things are really, they're, they're high-quality wood pieces. They're, they're adorable. They got these illustrations uh, from a, um, a web cartoonist, um, uh, Chris McCoy, who does uh, safely endangered web comics. You, you just want to pick them up. <laughs> um, yeah. And, they, and they, they peer right through the package. So there's a, a window so you can see all these great components right through the box. But it's a game of smashing knuckles together, of hilarious mistakes, and also uh, of nutty poses. Now, every once in a while, a number card flips up instead of, you know, the, the regular nut pictures. And if a number card picks up, it trumps anything else going on. Instead, everyone has to now do the matching numbered nutty pose. So it might be <laughs> that um, number one, if it pops up, might be bunny ears and everyone has to throw throw bunny ears up. And the last one to do so, they take the points. And just as your muscle memory kicks in, you feel like, all right, I got it all figured out. <laughs> then all the poses change. And then it's like this ridiculous, you know, like, oh, OK. Oh, no. Uh, bunny ears. No, it's actually a uh, hand on heart. Oh, oh, my God. Well, yeah, And, you know, and laughter ensues. It's just um, it's just got a great vibe. It's constant laughter throughout the game. It plays in like 20 minutes. And man, it's just it's it's terrific. <laughs> the thing about this game is um once you see anybody playing it, mm -hmm. you're pretty much sold right there. And you can jump right in. It takes like a minute and a half to learn this thing. It's a great design by Jeff Lai, uh, who's a designer up in Toronto. And boy, it's um, it's just it's contagious. You, you, you just <laughs> you want to dive in and play as soon as you see it come out. Uh, and I, I now it's it's become one of my most requested games when I walk into uh, any of my local game stores now. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Very, yeah. very cool. 
So, with the smirk and laughter line, for years you'd established yourselves as a smirk and dagger. Pretty much if you saw the smirk and dagger icon on a, on a board game, you knew exactly what you were getting. And now with the new line, smirk and laughter, how has that whole process been, discovering how to do that? That's a really interesting question. Um, it's evolved. And, and actually, this is a really great segue. Um, mm-hmm. I had decided, you know, early on that Nuts So Fast was going to be a great launch title for uh, for this group of games. And it really isn't too far a stretch to say, oh, yeah, I could see this coming from Smirk and Dagger. You know, it, it makes sense. But the next game that I wanted to consider, I honestly didn't think I could I could take on. I didn't think that I could do... Um, games that had as much breath as 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 now I'm I'm able to do. So at first I was just thinking Smirk and Laughter is just going to be it's going to be like party games. It's going to be boisterous fun. And I saw the design for uh Before There Were Stars, well, I don't know, maybe almost a year ago now. And the designers, Alex uh, Cutler, Alex Wilkerson, Matt Fantastic, they they just they pitched me. It was like a napkin pitch and they said, "Listen, this is a, a really compelling storytelling game where you are an ancient lore giver of your people. And you've got these 12 star-pipped dice that you roll to form the night sky. And then you scan the heavens in front of you to see if you can see any of the constellations that night. Now, there's a row of cards that have uh, keywords and uh, constellations. So it might say book or valley or comet. And there's a set of dice pictured, you know, dice faces pictured on that card that help make the constellation illustration. Okay. If you have dice that match that card, you can draw that into your story as a keyword. But what you're doing is you are telling the creation myth of your people. So the first chapter is in the beginning. And you've got these two keywords that you've drafted to help tell the story of how your how the whole entire universe began. And then the next chapter, you get two new cards, and you have to reference at least one from previous. And now you tell the story of, how did we get here? The dawn of our civilization. And chapter three is uh, the emergence of our great hero. And then finally, it's the end of days. How does this all wrap wrap up? Is this going to be a doom and gloom story? Or is this going to be like a really hopeful story? Uh. Well, you get to decide. And, you know, you're telling a story that develops, but it's wholly your own. No one's interrupting you. No one's taking you off target. You're creating the myth of your people. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I love this idea. God, if, if this plays half as well as it sounds, I am super, super excited. But the problem was, I was like, I don't know whether even I could fit that into smirk and laughter because it didn't fit with mm. what my vision was at the time for that brand. And I struggled and I was like, no, I, I love this game. And when I played it, oh, my God, it is it's the best storytelling game I've ever played. Now, mind you, storytelling games are not typically my favorite things. And a lot a lot of the reason is because of, you know, different mechanics that you see featured in a lot of them. Um, one um, which I kind of hinted at before, like a lot of times they're collaborative right. or pseudo collaborative. But in the end, what it really means is the story goes ping ponging all over the place and it has <laughs> nothing to really hold it together. And it just becomes a, a, a crazy mess with no, you know, no one steering it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fun, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's a it, bit more, it always, it's a bit more wacky and, and yeah, it frustrates me as a storyteller. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing is that a lot of the scoring uh, in a lot of these games is it ends up boiling down to, well, who was the pres- best presenter or who told the funniest joke? Oh, OK. Yeah. And yeah. and this this game avoids all of that. The way it, it does so is, uh, well, the first thing is that scoring is is done in secret. And hmm. at the end of at the end of every chapter, everyone hands out their offering bag. And it's a you know, it's a this great burlap looking bag that matches the color of your your story card and people you know after listening to your story drop these little star points these little star-shaped beads into your bag and the color that you know is you know two three or four points they're scoring you but you don't know what your score is now one of the interesting things about that is that you're not really you're playing to the entire crowd you're not playing to one person you're not playing to like the big laugh and what you're actually scoring people on is the other really important thing you're not scoring on who's the best presenter uh, or even who told the best story what you're scoring on is who had the coolest moment this round oh neat and a moment anyone can have a great moment even if you're not a really confident storyteller you can come up with something that people are like oh wow yeah i really love that and what's what's great is i've even seen uh games uh play out where you know someone starts off and in round one and two they're like you know their stories were a little disconnected they were you know confident where it was going and then round three they end up scoring crazy high because they took all these very disparate elements and they somehow put them all together and you're like oh that's so cool i love how you weave that together so it's just something that changes the dynamics of the game it levels the playing field for everyone everyone feels like they can be an equal participant and that you're scored on your true creativity. And because no one is changing your story, you also feel a lot of ownership. Um, but now, as I mentioned, since scoring is is secret, the one thing that I added to their design was um, at the end of the game, you know, whoever I was playing with, I would encourage people to like talk about the stories that they heard and, and start commenting on things that we liked. Well, I wanted to make sure that that was part of the game. So I created an appreciation round at the very end. Before you actually look in the bag and check your score, you got one bonus point to give. And you go around the table and you mention one or two things that you heard that you really loved. Like, I loved when you told the story about the goddess weeping and it filling the oceans. That was a cool moment. I just I can visualize that. But I'm going to give this bonus point to the person over here because they told this amazing tale whatever it was, this, this uh, a moment that they had that I just thought was beautiful um, or funny or whatever. However, you know, what, whatever you, you decide is the best moment. But now we're all sharing. And what's great about that is that I've never seen a game end where only one person is recognized. What happens is everyone gets recognized in some way for something that they created. So when you when you leave the table, regardless of what points are in your bag, you had a great time telling this story and you heard that people enjoyed what you what you conveyed. And so it's a really emotional feel good. And it was so compelling when I sat and played the game. I said, I have to print this. (laughs) But but can I? And so I ended up over the course of maybe three weeks reformulating what smirk and laughter was going to be so that I could. And. So the evolution of, of what the of what that brand is really, in my mind, became, you know, anything that can stir your emotions as you play qualifies. And it also connects it to Smirk and Dagger because that's exactly what Smirk and Dagger games did, too. So it still all makes 
sense from a larger corporate philosophy, but they have their own unique characters and it allows a lot of a lot of roaming room. Wow. I want to play this game like now. Yeah. Oh my Actually. God. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. That's a really neat way to kind of allow space to play around with those storytelling ideas. Can you imagine if I tried to introduce this title under the smirk and dagger banner? <laughs> Yeah, people, that, would, that would have thrown some people, people off. Would, oh my God, their their eyes would have twitched. <laughs> there would have been a lot of table flipping. Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of table flipping. Yep. Like, so where do I ruin this guy's myth? Yeah, uh, I'm not yeah. seeing my chance to ruin this guy's myth. <laughs> now, if it if it was more like the the Baron Moonchildson RPG, yeah, yes, yeah, where, yeah. where you can you can interject and and add things to somebody's story that there there we go there's an rpg that definitely has a take that mechanic yeah <laughs> i say rpg it is it is so close to just not being an rpg mm-hmm. it's 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 more of a storytelling game that just doesn't that doesn't have a board or cards <laughs> right. yeah wow and i know you'd mentioned earlier about how uh smirk and dagger is you know the core line uh, at least looking at it from a corporate perspective and i guess from what you're describing about getting those emotional highs uh, in either direction. I guess I was curious as to the play of the concept of having Smirk and Dagger as, you know, kind of your corporate core, what you want to move with going forward, your profit making and all that, versus playing with what feels to me might be more the core of the games, like all the games in general, just that general Smirk, that uh, playing with emotions and all that. Just kind of how you how you work between those two as a as a business. Huh. Well, I think I think there's going to be a lot to be seen and experimented with as as we move forward. Uh, the plan, as it stands, is to is to maintain both. Uh, certainly, I've got a lot of fans that have come to know us and love us as you know the take that you know backstabbing guys, mm-hmm. um, and I still I love that kind of mechanic. So. I think we'll always have those types of games that can continue to keep Smirk and Dagger, um, you know, chock full of new new fun. But Smirk and Dagger has always been a niche, a niche uh, brand. And I think there is every every possibility that one of the Smirk and Laughter titles at some point could really, you know, explode. And then I my company is really more known for Smirk and Laughter than it is Smirk and Dagger. It's it's a potential future. Mm hmm. But I don't know exactly, you know, what the future will hold. So we're we're just kind of building in both directions and and seeing, you know, what what comes of it. But I I can tell you that one of the things that I've taken a really hard look at as I've been developing titles for Smirk and Laughter is that, well, if you if you look at the industry and even a lot of the predictions with so many games coming out so often by so many companies, there's a saturation point. So everyone keeps on waiting for, well, when's the bubble going to pop, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. I've been saying but, that for, for years now. Well, and, and quite honestly, they're right. We're at a critical mass. <laughs> You're at a critical mass when retailers can't stock every game that comes out in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when that when that starts to happen, there really is probably too much. But the other the other side of it is that how do you how do you try to curb that that bubble pop? Well, one thing is that you bring in a hell ton more people into the hobby. Now, this has started to happen quite naturally over the past five, 10 years. People, you know, in, in my regular, you know, 
walking life, they're no longer thinking about board games as just like the Hasbro top 10 anymore. They, they're they now aware of hobby games. Maybe not all of them, but they, they started to hear about them. Mm-hmm. So they've started to play them. They're more open to them. They don't give you like a sideways look when you talk about games and you're not a kid. Um, 10 years ago, they did. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So so I think there's a real opportunity to expand our hobby to reach more and more people. And so the smirk and laughter games, they're going to be easy to get into. They're going to be emotionally compelling and memorable so that it creates a real experience at the table that people will want to replicate again and again. They're going to be games that demo really simply and that yeah, aren't going to be too hard for people to grok because I think... All the casual gamers, whether they're families or just new gamers in general, they're all kind of like starting to, to dip their toes into our hobby. Mm-hmm. And these kind of games are going to be really welcoming. So I've already noticed that not only are these games resonating with people who are, you know, more casual gamers, but they're also really registering with, you know, died in the wool hardcore gamers who can't get all the games they want to on the table with their family and friends who are not gamers. And they're, they're looking for titles. They're like, oh, this is fun, but I know who I can get to play this now. Yeah. Like that's, and they're, that's they're what... recruiting people in through games that are a little bit more casual. But yeah, like that's something that's very real. For example, with my girlfriend, like she sees that I play games and would honestly love to join in from the discussions we've had. It's just that gulf between mm. the fact that I've been playing games of various kinds and getting into more and more grokky mechanics uh, over yeah. the past right. 30 years. And she just doesn't have that that gaming vocabulary to play with. Um, and you don't want to feel like you're having to, to kind of step down, as it were. Yeah. In order to play in order to, to play games with her that she's going to be interested in. Yeah, but solid, fun games like this that get you to play with that human emotion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And That's it's not awesome. like they're... It's not like there aren't, you know, important, you know, decisions to make. I mean, exactly. I think all games, you know, there's some kind of decision tree out there. There's some kind of challenge to it. But there are heavy math games. There are heavy Euro games. There are mm-hmm. heavy all kinds of games. And they have their place. But these games are, they're just easier to get into. And it's more about the experience of the table than the besting of other people per se. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what? So what you do, Matthew? Is you is you is you get her to try it like not so fast, or or probably b- um, before there were stars. That sounds like a, a great one to to introduce her into. And then once she gets into that, and you're like, you're having fun, and she gets, she's like, yeah, let's play some more stuff. You go, all right, uh, here's a Run for Your Life Candyman. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> Dead Run last. for Your Life Candyman. That's <laughs> Dead still, last. That's uh. plenty plenty open for. I would say of of almost all my games. It's pretty easy to get into most of my games. Um, I don't really have any major head scratchers uh, because I've always believed in delivering that emotional impact, that experience first and and then the mental challenge as, you know, the the secondary thing. You know, I I don't build my my games from from the math and internal uh, mechanics up. I build games to elicit a reaction. Mm hmm. And so that it's a slightly different design you know, aesthetic. That being said, probably one of the games I've been looking forward to since about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, when I last saw you, Kurt, at a um, 
I think it was a Origins mm-hmm. that I've really been looking forward to, and I'm like really wanted to come out so bad. Like I wanted to come out like last year uh, from Smirk and Daggers is uh, oh. Tower of Madness. Yes, I've got this 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 little postcard thing that says you know coming soon from from Smirk and Dagger Games, and it's been sitting on this on my 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 little magnetic whiteboard of all the things I need to look to to keep an eye on for. And every time I see it, I go, why don't I have that game now? <laughs> and then you post a picture, you go, look at all these little these cool tentacle things we made. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is coming. So yeah, uh, if if people haven't. Uh, heard or, or seen anything about it tower of madness is a um obviously a cthulhu mythos kind of a, a thematic game where you are investigators you're investigating these unspeakable horrors at all these different locations trying to avoid losing your marbles literally uh, because, i see what you did there yes because what, what you've got at the center of the table is a 15 inch three-dimensional clock tower and coming out of every side of the clock tower are these uh, plastic tentacles, 30 of them from all sides. The tower is filled with marbles, and that is a punishment device for <laughs> for you failing your investigation role, because this is really a dice game at its very core. The, the tower itself is, is kind of like the use of the Jenga tower in the RPG Dread. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, so, I, I could see using this instead of the Jenga tower in Dread. Oh, it, it, it oh, actually would be... work pretty well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but in any case, um, I, I was kind of inspired by the brilliance of, of that use, using something that was familiar and adds drama and tension mm-hmm. to a to a different game. So, yeah, every every uh, investigation card has a location and you it has a different dice rolling challenge associated with it, either making your dice rolls harder or uh, different penalties when you fail or all sorts of things. And you have to complete that stack before the third green doom marble drops out of the tower. <laughs> because every time you you fail your investigation, you have to draw one of the tentacles out of the tower. And any marbles that fall down impact your character immediately. Mm-hmm. But unlike you know the, the original kids game, you actually want some of those marbles to fall because half of them are good. There's a reason why you're investigating you know, all these locations. You're looking for, you know, this forbidden knowledge. So this, uh, you're going to get victory points that drop out of the tower in terms of discoveries, discoveries you've made. And there were three points, the blue marbles. You start with two spells, but the only way to get more is if white spell marbles drop out of the tower. So that only happens when you fail and you have to draw tentacles. But that comes at a risk because you can also go insane that way. If a red marble drops from the tower... You start going insane. It takes four to make you uh, irretrievably insane. So then you stop rolling. You just start pulling tentacles. You're trying to get Cthulhu to come. So you change sides. And and like I said, there are also just three of these Doom Marbles in there. And if the third Doom Marble drops before those investigations are completed, then Cthulhu rises and it's game over for the investigators. So Uh, so excited about this game. Yeah, it's... uh, it's you, just got a lot of it's, it's dripping with theme. It's got some nice tension as you're like pulling mm-hmm. the tentacles. You're like, oh, what's gonna fall, you know? And there's you know there's a little bit of take that in it. Uh, it's a lot of uh, kind of push your luck a little bit with the dice, where you're like, well, in order to beat that guy, I'm I may have to 
use one of my dice early, which is going to make it harder for me to succeed. But if I do, then I steal the points from him. Yeah. So it's all of that kind of thing. I guess what I want to ask now is, do you think there's any smirk and dagger games that could potentially cross over into that smirk and laughter hmm. line? Or do you mm. think maybe there's a smirk and dagger game that could end up having a smirk and laughter version of it? I had not really considered that. Oh, well, you can put my yeah, thanks. Thanks to Swarmcast <laughs> yeah, podcast. There we but... go. Thanks to Swarmcast. I'm just going <laughs> to jot this down now. Um, yeah, I suppose it's possible, but I, I feel like the character of them is such that they probably will always be distinct. Now, I will tell you that I... I I did have in the back of my mind, even with Tower of Madness, mm-hmm. what if, like, the Scooby-Doo theme was draped on this, oh, and, right? Wow, and the, creep, yeah. you know, creeper arms were coming out of the castle. Okay. You know, so, you know, could could you make this a more approachable, friendly, happier kind of a thing? Sure, you probably could. Um, and it would probably do pretty well. But But I don't know that I've really... I've really thought about blending the two. Quite honestly, what I'm what I'm more focused on is trying to keep them distinct. All these games that I see on here for smirk and laughter, uh, they look great. They look yeah, they look like a you. lot of fun. Um, yeah, and you do you do kind of you do really have three very different games that you're coming right out the um right out the gates with, which is uh like you said is great for for showing kind of the range that you want to represent with uh, smirk and laughter. Yeah, yeah, you know and. We just we keep on we keep on rolling. Uh, this this is the most games that we have ever attempted in a single year. When I was working my day job, you know, I, I had the ability to get maybe one out a year, mm-hmm. possibly two if we stretched. But um, this is going to be five for this year for us. Wow! Um, and hoping to do five or six next year. Um, the the one that we didn't mention uh, that it'll be probably October release is I've got this wonderful uh, addition to the. Uh, the Candyman line. Uh, so okay, okay. Now, Run for Your Life Candyman is a game that I never intended to actually print. Right. Um, <laughs> because it was really just a joke for, for me and anyone who, you know, cared to ride along on, on the ride with me. I was just going to put it on my website as a free PDF download so you could play this parody of Candyland <laughs> on, your, on your own Candyland board. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but when I brought it to the Gamma Trade Show, and this is like, God, almost 15 years ago now, retailers saw it and said, oh, my God, what have you done? <laughs> the, no, listen, full color, any price you want on it, we will sell the crap out of it. And, <laughs> and, and they have. And I, I keep on getting these wonderful messages from, uh, from people. Um, Run for Your Life Candyman is the game that people take out at family occasions. <laughs> they, they take it out for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Easter, for Mother's Day. I, it's, mm. it's wonderful. And uh, so right now the game um, is, uh, is very close to out of stock. Um, and we will be doing a reprint, but it's going to be for the 15-year anniversary, I think, next year. Oh, wow. So um, what we're going to do in the interim, because it's going to be harder to find them, uh, for this holiday, we're going to have Roll for Your Life, Candyman. <laughs> awesome. Now, this is a real-time dice game. Um, you have uh, your gingerbread man, which is, you know, little cardboard tokens. So you have a head and two arms, two legs, and a body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're just all just disassembled. But, you, you know, you place them together in front of you. You have four dice, 
and at the center of the table is a plastic candy cane. You start rolling like mad as a, along with everyone else, and you're trying to get your, your dice to match four things. Like, you match four feet, and you grab the candy cane to stop the action, and then you claim someone's leg. <laughs> you put the candy cane back everyone starts rolling like mad again even if you already had just gotten your match too late you have to do it all over again mm -hmm. and it's it's this dice fest of of rolling and trying to grab the candy cane first and lopping off limbs it's like it's like taking the candy cage match from run for life candy man uh -huh. and distilling it down into like a 10 minute game oh wow it's just it's a super super fun game and uh so we're gonna have that available for uh for the holidays Awesome. That, yeah, okay. I'll probably pick that up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for a second there, I thought you were going to say it was going to be a, um, when you were talking about all, you have all the parts, I was I was immediately thinking of, uh, what's that game? I think it's called Cooties, where you you have the, the bugs that you're making, the big plastic head. Oh, yeah. And all the legs and the... <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it was I, like that, but with ginger. That would man. be super cool if they were like three-dimensional things you could like assemble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's a way to do that. You just got to get someone who can bake you some uh, gingerbread men. Well, that is true. Um, yeah. yeah. In fact, we even thought about, we even thought about having leg. them like... Chomp. Mm. <laughs> Chomp. Oh, well, I mean, you guys play that way, don't you? The um, original game? Well, I mean, I remember last time talking with you on the show, you mentioned mentioned doing that instead of the character sheet kind of oh, thing for, yeah. Candy Land, for, for Run for Your Life Candyman. And I was like, well, I, I got to try that now. I tell you what, um, we do that at Gen Con every year. It's always our biggest event that we run, all Gen Con. It's our uh, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> it's Saturday night. Um, last year, we, we, we set a record for ourselves. We had 72 people playing Candyman <laughs> oh, at once. Oh, wow. And God. it was, we always like, we, the reason we have to have it so late is because it is so loud. Mm -hmm. No <laughs> one near us can even hear what they're doing because we are all chanting, rip it off, rip it off. <laughs> Behold, the head of my enemy. You know, all of that stuff. And when you've got 72 people all chanting, it's amazing. I think I think we've already sold 56 of the event tickets for that already, <laughs> and events just opened up like a week ago. Yeah, <clears throat> wow. So. We may we may have to try something like that for a scarab. Oh my god, we it's... we may have to. Well, we have this this no outside food and drink policy, no. but but I think but we if can it's go... a game component, I know. Well, yeah, it's if, a... <laughs> if you provide them, we'll get a, we'll get around. That. If scarab provides, well, because if we do it late, at, yeah, if we again, if we do it kind of late at night, you know, mm -hmm. it's part of your part of your ticket fee. We'll we'll get around <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's quite a hoot. We, we usually have uh, these little frosting tubes for for damage, and if you <laughs> lose a limb, you bite it off. <laughs> wonderful hmm. yeah, okay yeah. okay i mean it's all coming together now you can't yeah. make the cookies too tasty though or else you might you might have some self-inflicted harm it's true that i i, <laughs> I ate I all my hit points <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah and we've, we've got uh, already uh two games lined up for next year too so um yeah things things are, are kind of rocketing along and i'm just trying to keep up with it all that's that's very awesome that's a good problem to have right yeah yeah <laughs> well cool um we've we've actually been talking with you for for quite on quite a while now uh kurt i think this is a good a good place to kind of to, to wrap up the designer dungeon perfect i think we'll i think we'll keep that name because that would just sounds too cool and if 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 matthew's gonna do that sound effect every time then 
Oh, I will. Then we got to keep it. And then we'll remix it. And then <laughs> remix we, it. And then we'll re-remix it. <laughs> Re-release it. And, and then we'll re-re-remix <laughs> it. And then we'll triple mix it uh-huh. with the remix on top of the remix. And we'll, then we'll release an acoustic version of it. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I definitely want the unplugged version. There we yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to uh, find out, um, you know, about stuff that's that's coming, see pictures as as we start designing, you know, bits and pieces. You can uh, just follow us over on uh, Facebook. You just smirk ampersand dagger, um, and you'll find us there, or uh, smirk and dagger on Twitter. Okay, so there's not a separate one of those for for smirk and laughter. No, I've got it all going through smirk and dagger. Uh, though, if you go to the smirk and dagger website, mm-hmm. um, the first thing that you that you see is it'll give you a direction. Do you want to go laughter or dagger? Um, and you can go to the website and go right to smirk and laughter uh, just by typing smirkandlaughter.com as well. Well, very cool. So, yeah. are there? Um, I know you mentioned Gen Con. Are there any other conventions that you're gonna big conventions that you're gonna be at that you wanna? Yeah, mention? actually. Uh, I tell you what, I'm um, I'm going to be heading out this week to go to Geekway to the West, and uh, that's in uh, St. Charles, Missouri. Okay. Then um, we're going to be hitting Origins. We're going to be going to uh, Dice Tower Con. We're going to be at Gen Con and BGG Con. Uh, we're going to be back at uh, PAX Unplugged in Philly. Uh, we're going to go for the first time to, to Canada to um, the Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, is having a, uh, a convention up there. Huh, neat. And um, where else? Well, that's that's quite a number, but yeah. Uh, so if, if you're at any of those, please stop on by. Very cool. Matthew, did you have anything else? Uh, not really, aside from the fact that I recall stopping by your, your booth at the last PAX Unplugged, and it was it was a fun time. So if you are at any of those conventions, Kurt's, Kurt's a pretty cool guy to see. Yeah, we aim to please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, in that case, we'll undo the shackles and let you out of the designer's dungeon for now, Kurt. (laughs) 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 All right, well, cool. John, Matthew, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Swarmcaster got your number. I'll call you all the time. Area code 803-470-4439 Swarmcast has bargain me this for you, yeah, you got the good, bad, and other stuff to tell you, so listen up to our board and review, hoo-hoo's, you really like it, or I'll make you eat your shoe, hoo-hoo's, <laughs> Paramedics Clear by Smirk Dagger Games for 1 to 4 players, plays in 30 to 40 minutes, ages 14 and up. Get to your rig, this is going to be one hell of a shift. Be quick to sustain and stabilize patients and rush them to the hospital. Manage your resources and upgrade your ambulance to save as many lives as possible. You only have seconds to act and the clock is against you. Try not to lose anyone today, rookie. Rescue squad, confirm and report. So playing this board game, we had myself, John, and we had Doug. Yo. And Matthew coming at you. Yo, yo. All right, guys. So, um, wow. Paramedics clear. (laughs) It's intense. Very intense. Yeah. So, uh, wow. So what's some good stuff we can say about paramedics clear? Uh, 
I mean, a lot. I I really like it. It's. I'm just trying to think of. So it's it's very <laughs> like high energy. It's not yeah. like like you know war where you're like trying to out slap each other to a card. It's like every <laughs> you're taking your turn, but during your turn you have a timer and you have to try to get all this all of this stuff done. And the the timer has a like a heartbeat sound, so it it you can have all of the plans in the world, and then you hear the timer, and like your brain just farts, and you you forget what you're trying to do. And, yeah. Oh, it's intense. It's yeah. it captures the theme of being a paramedic pretty well, I guess, in a city that is under siege by all sorts of crazy stuff where people are just getting injured left and right constantly. Like, yeah. like, I won, but I still feel like I've lost because so many people Because so died. many people oh, died. Yeah. Like, holy cow. Of hand cuts and, and kicks to the shin. and <laughs> Yeah. So, so all, the, all the components are pretty good. Um, they're, they're, the cards are decent. Um, yeah, good cards. I mean, yeah. Every, good little board. Good little cardboard it, chits. It didn't really take a lot to, to learn how to play the game. It seemed very intuitive, as as nerve wracking as it as it was when we got down to that last shift. But yeah, yeah. Um, and I would definitely recommend the the companion app that they mentioned. Oh, that adds yes. so much to it. Yeah, yeah. Although, as an alternative, we figured you could have the person to your left just uh, <laughs> countdown. Just just uh, doing the countdown, <clears throat> going, uh, yeah. counting down, right in your ear. And yeah. Just, Making that would, alarm noises. That would be terrible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, like there's there's a similar amount, uh, maybe not quite as much of uh, adrenaline as like uh, Captain Sonar. Like that game is super intense. Um, but th- this, it's it's you know maybe ninety percent of that, but a quicker game, much quicker than Captain Sonar. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because. All you're doing is matching colors and and handling, you know, how your resource collection of bandages. Do you do you have enough bandages? Do you have enough casts? Do yeah. you have enough syringes? It's it's really it's simple, all... but that timer makes it. That timer makes oh, it yeah. killer. <laughs> I mean, and it's weird that we're talking about like adrenaline in board games, but holy cow! I know, I know. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, you gotta think all quick on your feet, cause I mean, there's sometimes where you'll start your turn and you have no idea what patience you have, yep, and no idea what you're gonna do, so you so have you to s- think on the fly yeah, with this you, timer, like you can't, ah, you can't plan, ah. you just have to react as oh, soon as thing starts. And <clears throat> or if you do something ride. silly and you clear out your main gurney when you meant to clear out your backup gurney first, and then you end up with a new patient, and then you had to deal with them, and then. Suddenly you, Suddenly you forget <laughs> and yeah, they're dead and you'd you'd never you, you never sustained your original dude and they're dead too. And then, and then, and then, and then your turn's over and then or, boom. Or you, you have five seconds left and you sigh in defeat as your the main the guy on your main gurney is gonna die and then after he's di- he's dead, you look over and you realize you had the medicine he needed in in the cabinet. <laughs> oh but yeah. Just yeah. sitting there just sitting in there. storage. You already right. made it. It was ready to go. You just didn't you, think of it. You ran out of time and you and you forgot that you could put cards into your your upgrade pile and so you're like, dang it, now I got now I can't draw those new cards. Or yeah. you sit there with ten cards in your upgrade pile for like three turns, like I did, <laughs> doing nothing with them because you keep on forgetting about forget them because you're it. trying to deal with your. <laughs> I know this job would be easier for for all the blasted patients that you got to take care of. Uh huh. Yeah. And so, the, yeah. the the 
the dagger part of the game, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. Um, of the smirk and dagger? Yeah. Yeah, right. like, I, I don't, like, it really isn't that bad, because it's, you basically, anytime you get to choose uh, a patient, you, you draw two, and you have to give one to somebody else. So it's not like you're really screwing over somebody else. It's like, you're choosing the lesser of two evils, <laughs> and you kind of are apologizing as you give the greater of the two evils like, to I'm somebody sorry, else. You're going to have to deal with this. Um, but, I mean, it's it's... It's, it's not still like, a fun way to stick it to someone if you really wanted I, to. I think it'd be actually really hard to actually focus on one person because you don't have enough time to 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 because you because you literally have to see who's got an open gurney to give the other patient. Yeah. And well, and there's times when you're just like, I gotta put this card in here. Who's got an empty slot? Here, you take it. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I don't care. Merry Christmas. They have a patient. It's not. So it's not like you could you could have some devious plan of screwing over you don't have your friends. Time for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's your 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 <laughs> plan is to not screw over yourself. Therefore, their job gets harder. But it's <laughs> it's not like because yeah. we play with three people, and a lot of times three player board games, you get the the like ah the first person to attack somebody loses because you know then right yeah right, that's right. very true. So like while it's a competitive board game, you the the dagger aspect kind of was random enough. You're not really. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you're not really targeting anybody else um, while you're screwing them over, so that you can't. You don't really have time to. Gotcha. I get that. So what's something? What's something bad we could say about paramedics? Clear. Uh, the adrenaline. Oh my god. Don't don't play it if you have a heart condition. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was bad that my 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 phone ran out of power uh, right there in the middle of Doug's turn. Well, that had nothing to do with the game. I mean, it, it, it is something to be aware of. It yeah. ate up, what, 30% well, yeah, of your I was like, I was battery? like, oh, I got 30% left on my iPhone. We should be able to do this, no problem. Yeah, but that last 30% of your phone, is it really the same 30% as your first 30%? <laughs> but, but anyways, anything bad about this this game? Um, the app's really not that bad. The app, the app actually adds a lot to it. Um, I mean... Uh, you can't I would play be it hard pressed I mean, to play it twice cause, in a row because the thing that you might think would is bad about this game is really something that kind of adds to the big adrenaline rush of the game. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, these little chits are so small, and it's like, well, no, that kind of really, that really adds to it to the whole. Vibe. Yeah, and they I guess, all kind of look the same. They all look the same. You, well, that really kind of adds to the. You would really have to. Um, you can't play it in a quiet place either. Oh like, gosh, you because there's an app. You know, blaring at you, which is adds to the the timer. Yeah, okay. Um, and you have to yell, yell, yell out. You know, transport, clear, right. sustain. So that, yeah, okay. So don't play this in a library. Yeah. Yep. It might be really hard to play in a convention because uh, those those diehard serious board gamers are gonna get mad because. Yeah, I wouldn't. I you if gotta kind of take too the rules with a grain of salt if you want to have fun. I feel like if you got like a stickler right. with this, it would. It would kind of ruin it because sometimes it's like it's like you technically did not hit that button second. and say clear when you yeah, did that. Yeah, like a half second. <clears throat> yeah. Or or maybe you hit the button and then said clear or said transport instead of clear. Yeah. Or, or I said clear transport and then hit the button. Yep. <laughs> technically that was uh, oh, yeah, uh, wrong, yeah. but uh, clear stabilized no transport. Yeah. <laughs> Throw him in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say probably the other bad thing was, like, the comment I made was, if I was younger and, and played this game, it would make me never want to become a paramedic. <laughs> True. I if couldn't you... stand 30 minutes of this. What makes me think I want to make a career of this? Holy crap. On now, that, that note, our paramedics should probably be paid more. I, yeah, <laughs> it makes me appreciate those who have the job a lot more. Who have to make that, that uh, 
important decision, you know, you know, do I save this guy who got mauled by a bear? Or do I save this guy who got hit by a meteor? Or do I stock up some of these supplies and get I a just, sweet band just, for just, next time? just cruise around putting band-aids on people for the next five <laughs> turns. You're fine, dude. You got a band-aid on. All right. So it's what's something we could throw in the other category. There's so much that's in the other category already. It's got an app. It's got little the the boards which really help you uh each yeah, the little yeah. player mat board things which really help you uh it's, figure out what the hell you're doing. It's a pretty small <clears throat> box which is good for like, oh I'm gonna go over to so and so's house, let me just grab this one board game and you know, it's not a yeah setup time is quick, you don't have to yeah. like hold on, I'm gonna play let's pull out descent. And ours came with um, it's up for up to four players and our copy of Paramedics Clear and it they probably all are like this had Four baggies in it, and then and we realized, oh wait a minute, there's enough components here, so we can actually set up each bag. So it's, so it's a uh, yeah, know, it's pre-sorted, it's pre-sorted for each for each player. So that makes setup really easy when we want to get this back out to the table again. I thought it was pretty nice. All right, anything else we want to say about Paramedics Clear? No, a I lot of we, fun. We said a lot of stuff. About <laughs> Simple game, fast game, makes your heart pound. So again, Paramedics Clear by Smirk and Dagger Games. Jeff Lay's Nut So Fast, a nutty reactionary game by Smirk and Laughter Games for three to six players, ages eight and up. Uh, takes about 20 minutes. Let's get nuts. You gotta be lightning fast in this wildly nutty party game. Flip two cards and watch for exactly four matching nut pictures. If you see a set of four, grab the wooden nuts with the same face right out from under the other player's noses. But not so fast! If a number card pops up, players need to strike the correct nutty pose instead. A laugh out loud game of quick thinking, fast reactions, and nutty poses. Featuring adorable nuts drawn by famed web cartoonist Chris McCoy. Yay! Not so fast! It was a pretty nutty game, right? <laughs> well, yeah. This game was reviewed by Ruby. And John. And Calvin. So cool. So what's some good stuff we could say about Nuts So Fast? It's really fun. You do laugh a lot. Yeah, we, we we were definitely laughing. We were enjoying some of the poses they have. and uh, We may have made one or two of them a little more adult-themed. Like, instead of just crossing your arms, you had to grab your, your man pecs or woman <laughs> pecs. Woman pecs. pecs. What? I was trying to keep it clean for a change. And we did. We said woman pecs. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it, it definitely played within the a lot of time. Very much so. I it think it actually quick. played quicker. And I and I like the fact that the the poses actually added a, um, enough of a random a better random element than just constantly, for lack of a better term, uh, looking at our nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's something bad we can say about nuts so fast? Apparently, I hurt my fellow players. It is easy to do physical harm to other people. You can. You could get slapped, you could get clawed, you might fall out of your chair. But I, I think that that is pretty common in, in yeah. similar games. It's, where a, you're, it's a reaction right, game. Right, where yeah. you're putting a reaction. So, so if you're not a big fan of games like Slapjack, then you probably won't like this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you probably uh, still will, because well. you don't necessarily have to slap other people. <laughs> It's just a preference. No, no, it's not. <laughs> don't, don't slap other people. But. We cannot condone. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's move into this other category, unless there's something else bad we want to say. No. So no. something other. Um, the components were pretty cool. Yeah, I liked, it has. I like the little components. The it, little, uh, 
wooden nuts. Yeah, it has the wooden nuts, but it also has nice, comfortable um, cards. Yeah, they're, they're right. sturdy cards since you have to flip them rather quickly. They're and they'll good, be moving around, and they're good size. They're not too big. They're not too small. Right. Right. There's nothing complicated or hard to read on the cards themselves. Right. Uh, I like, and it's. Uh, there is no reading except numbers one, two, and three. Yeah, right. and once once you get that core mechanic down, and honestly, we went through the instruction book. Um, apparently, I could have just read off what was on the back of the box that Ruby read at the beginning, yeah. and that tells you pretty much every, almost everything you need to know about yeah. how to play the game. Yeah, it does also come with a little reference card right. as well. Right, but the key there is just remember four and seven. That seems to me the. Yeah, those are the, the two thing. big ones. Eight, if you're really lucky. Or eight, which I got an eight on that you one. You did. Mm. Unfortunately. So real quick, other we mentioned, um, it actually played under its 20 minute time limit. I think it learned you could learn the game and play it in under the 20 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's rare, so. I think, and I like that. Well, it does say learn in two minutes on the side of the box. Dun dun dun. That was Whoa. Doug who just appeared. I did. A wild Doug is just weird. He has not played that so fast, but I can read. Can read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we we so. determined that I cannot count in that game. <laughs> or, or clap. Or clap. <laughs> or clap. So this was not so fast. A nutty reaction game by Smirk and Laughter Games. So hey guys, we're still here at Scarab Gaming Convention, and right now at the table with me I have Ryan. Hey Ryan, how's it going? It's going well, buddy. How are you? Going pretty good. So, what game did you just uh, finish playing? We played uh, Evolution Climate, climate, or climate change, or Evolution climate. climate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so, what you what do you think of the game? A solid game. Yeah. One I'd consider picking up. Okay. So, why don't you tell us something good about Evolution Climate? I can see the replayability pretty high uh, because the combination of traits that you give your different creature creature species um, mm-hmm. w- would really make it a very different game depending on what you had. So I can see it's very replayable. Okay. Um, why don't you tell us something bad about climate evolution? So depending on how many people you play with, you pull out cards. We did mm-hmm. it randomly, and what it resulted in was it skewed the game towards certain styles, defensive or offensive. So okay. um, I got stuck with offensive cards, and there were a lot of defensive cards, and it was hard uh, to get through those defenses. So I think what I would do differently is uh, if I owned the game, I'd probably look at the ratios of cards and mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Seven Wonders, number the cards so that you know if you're playing with three or four people, you know which cards to pull out to keep right. the game more balanced. Okay. Okay, that makes but sense. But I might just be being a sore loser because I got crushed. <laughs> so. Well, what, what, what can you say that might go into the um, other category for Evolution Climate? Uh, like a similar game? Well, um, basically, is there, is there something else about the game that not necessarily good or bad that just kind of stood out to you about the game? A lot of pieces, but that, that seems to be the way board games are going these days. So it's a lot of piece management, making sure okay. you don't scatter stuff. And stuff. But, you know, so if you have little kids, uh-huh. might not be the greatest. But uh, okay. if you've got uh, – I think it's a great game to play if you've got a, a bunch of people that are heavy gamers or even light gamers can get into it, I think. Well, cool. Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, thank you for sitting down and talking with me about Evolution Climate. Thanks for letting me play it. And I hope you have uh, more fun at Scarab 2018. <laughs> I'm back with Joe again, and he wants to tell us about another game, uh, Evolution Climate, I believe it is. So it's Evolution Climate. This is a not an expansion. It's a standalone right? Um, new version of Evolution. Mm-hmm. I think I played Evolution originally. I think I even played it as a play tester at one of the other cons, I think, at Mace. Okay. Um, 
just as pretty as the original. This is really nice art, very consistent art from card to card. You're creating species, mm -hmm. feeding the species, growing the species, and then eating other species. If you have, there's cards that make you do things. Right, there's defensive right. and all this. Um, and climate specifically, you're watching. There's a climate change effort to it, not in a political sense. Right. Of just getting hotter and colder. If it gets too cold, little creatures freeze. If it gets too hot, big creatures get in trouble. And you have right. to pay attention to that. It's a thing that plays. Um, really, really, really pretty art. Some of the stuff, um, it's not really rules problems. It just gets rules start stacking when you have cards that affect each other. So you have to do pay attention. But I wouldn't call that a bad thing. It's just as a little level of complexity, but not psychotically. Okay. I'm not sure there's a bad thing, um, ex except it makes it hard sometimes to um, read other people's cards if you don't know what they are. And I don't know. I don't remember if it had a cheat sheet, but there probably would be nice to have a cheat sheet of all the cards in oh, front of each person, okay. because you might see it says water, mud hole or something or watering hole, but you don't know really what that like means what that until means. you hand me the card. Um, okay. As you play it, certain things like horns, you know that just makes it more defensive. Right. And maybe by four, whatever that num whatever that does, you would know that, but maybe something you haven't seen played before, you don't know what it does. Mm -hmm. So that would be helpful. That's not a strong bad, but it's, it is. And because it is a not a simple game, there has to be that. So it's not a strong bad. It's just a little bit other, um, thematically beautiful. Um, and it does have that climate things not just hot cold but it has that stretch and the board actually shows nice gradation of color when it actually increases color food becomes a different resource and is affected differently by the weather that's the other thing it's just nice and it plays and it changes as that weather changes okay it's very nice well awesome thank you for uh, sitting down with me and talking about evolution climate that's a bad thing if you're from the Swarmcast. If you don't like it, I'ma come over and kick the tail. Tail. <laughs> Toast meant to say tail. Toast. Um, Why do you do that? Oh yeah. Do you smell something burning? It can only mean one thing. We're cooking toast. Ha <laughs> ha. Not supposed to be cooking with toast. What? Sheesh. Where? Cooking with toast. Better. Hey guys, welcome to Cooking with Toast. Today we're going to be cooking something called hot dish. And I've already got it mostly done here. I've been heating up all these dishes and pans and stuff for hours now. No, no, toast. That's not what hot dish is. What? No, what? no. Hot dish is actually a generic term for a Midwestern dish that can have lots and lots of different variations. You don't say. Yeah. The way I learned how to do it was actually from my best friend Jessica. So what you would need to make my version of hot dish is a pound of burger, one medium to large onion, one can of creamed corn, one can of condensed tomato soup, one 16-ounce box of elbow macaroni noodles, and two to four cups of cheese. I prefer sharp cheddar. Mmm, yum. The sharper, the better. <laughs> so what you need to do to actually make the dish is, of course, boil up the macaroni noodles. Uh-huh. Brown the pound of burger with the onions cut up, diced up in it. Once the burger has been browned, you can add the can of cream corn 
and the can of tomato soup. Then put all of the elbow macaroni noodles in. You can then add the cheese on top. You can either bake it in the oven for 20 minutes at 350 degrees or let it simmer on the stovetop covered until the cheese is melted. Mmm, melted cheese. That's my favorite type of melted thing. What else do you melt? Um, stuff? That's hot dish. But like I said earlier, it's a Midwestern dish and there's lots of different variations. So if you go searching online, you'll come up with a lot of different options and ways to personalize it and make it to your taste. I'm going to put all sorts of stuff in it. Like maybe some of these dishes I've been heating up. Ugh. Mm, I wouldn't do that toast. Ah, whatever. <laughs> well, everybody, the show's finally over. That's it. You can go back to your normal life again, though it's probably never going to be the same. You can find the Swarmcast podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Tell us what you think. Heck, give us a good review on either iTunes and Tuned In, Stitcher. Heck, I think we're putting stuff out on YouTube now, if that's kind of your thing. Anyway, subscribe, like, whatever, all through those different guys. Or you can grab the RSS feed from our website, which is Swarmcast podcast.com that's all one word and you can also email us at swarmcastpodcast again one word at gmail.com why not or you can leave us a message at area code 803-470-4439 and we'll probably play it on the air if you're lucky maybe (laughs) so until next time keep on gaming and when you think of toast think of me <laughs> hop in i'm benny the cap just stick out your thumb and you'll be there in a flash hop in i'm benny the cap when you see me on the sidewalk get out the way fast hop in i'm benny the cap and when it comes to the dodgers no i'm not a fan hop in i'm benny the cap take the bunny and run eddie v that's the plan first i move LA from New York like sorry revving up my engine gas like a Ferrari are we ready for the ride of our lives cause I'm gone and it's rough in these streets strap in and hold on the driving pulls around since 1910 sister Mary Francis he's done it again Roger why'd you have to tip off the tomb patrol to the movies we will go but keep it on the low I know Goofy's funny but you gotta be quiet cause rabbit's on the menu and Doom's not on a diet with a pack of hungry weasels evil and starving I'm sliding through the dip and it's kind of alarming so don't freeze the frame i mean it turpentine acetone and benzene we've seen let's it. go back to the park where i'm saving the day yo roger let me drive get out of the way hop in i'm benny the cab just stick out your thumb and you'll be there in a flash hop in i'm benny the cab when you see me on the sidewalk get out the way fast hop in i'm benny the cab and when it comes to the dodgers no i'm not a fan I'm Benny the Cab. Take the bunny and run. Eddie V, that's the plan. Okay, now crawl through the window. Roger, I'll get help. Sit Jessica and Eddie, and yes, save yourself. Fight Greasy and Wheezy and the rest of the vermin. Smoking hella henchmen like your name was Baby Herman. With the stogie hold up, G. What about the will? Roger's been a patsy ever since Acme was killed. And I don't appreciate it. Help us out, Santino. Deciphering the fallout from Jessica's libido. But she's not bad. 
that's just how she's drawn. Well, Betty boops from serving drinks from sunset till dawn. No justice for tunes. Try that one again. Looks like we found the culprit and saved all our friends. These days you might find me on House of Mouse. Hanging out with Max and Mickey on location, no doubt. It's been a crazy ride for the first self-driving car. Middle finger to your Uber, you can keep your five stars. Oh, hop in, I'm Benny the Cab. Just stick out your thumb and you'll be there in a flash. Hop in, I'm Benny the Cab. When you see me on the sidewalk, get out the way fast. Hop in, I'm Benny the Cab. And when it comes to the Dodgers, no, I'm not a fan. Hop in, I'm Benny the Cab. Take the bunny and run. ADV, that's the plan. Why'd you lock me up? For driving on the sidewalk, it was just a couple miles and nobody got hurt. Why'd you lock me up? For driving on the sidewalk, it was just a couple miles and nobody got hurt. Why'd you lock me up? For driving on the sidewalk, it was just a couple miles and nobody got hurt. Why'd you lock me up? For driving on the sidewalk, it was just a couple miles and nobody got hurt. I need the cab.